Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. I don't mean any disrespect, he just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Looking guy, thank you for taking that picture with that Santa hat. You look <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Do you get into Christmas in a big way? Like, you know, you, you know, would you dress up at Santa? The boy center called and said, "Hey, we need you to dress up at Santa." Would you do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did when when I had you know family that was still alive and stuff. Okay. Uh, not trying to sound dark, but I did enjoy Christmas and. And buying people gifts and, and stuff like that for sure. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not dressing up as Santa Claus, though. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, in January, when you're in town, if you want to head over to the Boys Center as a late-arriving Santa Claus, because all those kids don't get pres presents for Christmas. Don't, don't try to make me feel guilty now. I've already got enough, <laughs> enough going on. I'm just kidding. I, I will say this, because uh, we need to get to – I'm late because a motherfucker in my life – who I won't say his name is still fucking with me. He's trying to steal from me. Yeah. And I hope that he dies. <laughs> I won't disseminate his name, but it's not retro, but I hope he <laughs> dies. And speaking of people, I don't want to die. We don't know what's going on with John Santucci. If Robert Stack were still alive, we would get him on unsolved mysteries. Actually, He's from the Philippines or something. And yeah. it's like, yeah, where's he at? We no contact. He's yeah, he's been uh, in the Philippines, still in the Philippines, and he arrives back in the states on Thursday. So yeah, he's gonna be in a jail like the dude from Midnight Express. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was in Turkey, right? That was in Turkey, I believe. Yes. Great oh movie. my god, one of the worst movies you've ever seen. You know, in terms of like 
holy shit, like th this can't be real, but it's based on a true story, you know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is. I mean, that's oh. a terrifying movie. Uh, and I think I told you the story that after that movie came out, I, or, yeah, I think it was after, um, I did a, uh, a business trip to Egypt. We were shooting a movie there. And, you know, I was, uh, this was a, about a year after Sadat was assassinated. And um, I packed up quickly and in one of the pockets of a suit coat I had, I had a little bit of marijuana. Uh -oh. <laughs> and so I discovered it when I was at the hotel and I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, man, I am so fucking lucky that I did not get busted and get thrown into a. Yeah, Cause a like last week we were told my Brittany Griner and, and she was released. Yeah. Of course, last week we didn't know that at the time, but oh. it, it mirrors what you're talking about. You have like $4 and five cents worth of pot and she gets sentenced to 10 years of hard labor, uh, which is crazy. But thankfully, she's on the way home, and thankfully, you didn't go to a jail, uh, jail uh, after Sadat and War Sadat's assassination. Yeah, boy, that was scary shit, man. As soon as I, got, as soon as we landed, there were just like armed uh, soldiers with uh, machine guns all over the fucking place, and in dogs. the city, they were just all over the place. I don't know if it's still that way. This was. Did they have like dogs ready to bite your fucking balls off too? Fucking a. Fuck oh, a. terrifying! Does count me out. Yeah, and then the traffic was awful. It was. I I looked forward to uh, just staying in the hotel. Although we went shopping in some restaurants and had a lot of fun, but at the time I was like 19, 20 years old. I was terrified. You know, ne never been out of the Puerto Rican neighborhoods in Chicago, and now I'm in Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's the story of my life hey we've got a really really good show for you we got an interview with dan weeder i hope you like it as much as i like uh, uh doing the interview with dan he's he's uh, and i've always been a fan of his work and uh dan aguire meanwhile has thought that he's a very negative person and we addressed that with uh dan weeders dan aguire submitted a question and he was very gracious to answer that and a question submitted by chubbs so uh, I think that's going to be a good interview. We'll talk a little bit about the Bears. And then Dan and I both uh, separately saw a movie that we really dug a lot named Smile. So we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, answer any questions in the chat. That's not like a plan, Dan? Yeah, I watched a lot of shit this uh, last weekend. I had a few days off, so it was like like ten things I've seen this weekend. Yeah, I saw a few things too because I, you know, we didn't work on uh, uh, Sunday here at the bar room, and so this weekend I caught up on a few things. It was fun to uh, finally see some movies and not have to think about. Oh, did I post that show yet? Oh, did I edit that thing yet? So, uh, not bad. Um, what about this buy? Are you excited about seeing the Bears play after 10 days of, of not 10 days, but a week of rest and recharging batteries and the coaching staff relooking at things? Are you excited about it or are you just wishing this fucking season would end? Hey, with number one playing, I'm going to be excited to watch Justin Fields. And if you're telling me that uh, Nathan Peterman were playing, then I'd be comparing it again to Steve Stenstrom in 1998 and be like, please just get this fucking over with. But with Justin Fields playing, yeah, I'm energized, man. I may not be able to watch the game late. Um, rather, I may not be able to watch it at 1 p.m. on Sunday or, or noon central for you all uh, because I work until 8 a.m. So I may be watching it in the evening. But in spite of that, uh, yeah, I mean – I know Philly's going to probably be a 10 point favorite, if not more, but yes, I, I want to watch. I want to see an upset. I, don't hit me with any of that draft status shit. I want to watch the game and I want to watch the, the bears win. Yeah. That's, that's my, my goal. 
I'm with you. You know, I, obviously I would love a high draft pick. That way it gives us, you know, more things we can potentially do with trades or pick up, uh, you know, the second or third or maybe even the first best player uh, in the draft. That would be nice. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm at this point where I, it's starting to feel a little bit poisonous, all of these losses. And if you beat a team like the Eagles or a team like the Bills, th- those are the two two games. I would if uh, the four. No, 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 Minnesota because we're going to be there. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. need to win when we're there. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But if I were to prioritize the victories, I would love to come out of this by in a great upset win over the Eagles and then uh, a Vikings win because you and I will be there. Uh, uh, shoulder to shoulder, hugging each other to stay warm. Hey, hey, and Detroit, man. Detroit, look at them. They're in the playoff hunt now. We got to give Don Burr some credit. Yeah. And so a win over Detroit would be good too. Yeah, it, uh, it would be fantastic because that team is stacked with talent and they have tons of draft assets to add to that talent. I'm a little worried about it. And then the whole fact that Jared Goff is now playing like he could maybe be the quarterback in the next few years and they won't have to draft a quarterback in the draft because they got a really high pick the third or fourth if the season were to end now so if they don't pick a quarterback and they pick a defensive lineman or another offensive lineman or another great skill player holy shit this team is going to be stacked so they'd have to take in my opinion they have to take a quarterback even if even just for in case golf gets hurt Mm -hmm. uh, and have someone to go to i mean just like look at some of the players like uh what game was i watching the other day when that guy used to be in Detroit, uh, Driscoll. Yeah. Remember that guy? Yes, he Jeff. was he. Yeah, he was playing with the Texans. I mean, that's what you and I were talking about. Will Lovey survive this season? If I'm the Texans owner, I mean, fuck, man, Lovey has no quarterback whatsoever. None. Were they well, playing Driscoll? I I do think that this guy uh, Davis Mills, he's going to be entering his third season next season. I I, I would like to. If I'm the Texans, I would love to figure out a way to keep him. I would keep Lovey, though, is what I'm saying. You can't blame this on Lovey. I I totally agree with you. Lovey deserves another chance, and there's already stories uh, coming out that Lovey is on a really – Lovey's on his way out, according to a couple of stories that I I read, but, you know, those are rumors. Um, But this, then, Lovey gets fired, and we tell that bum that we've got as our D.C., and we bring back Lovey as our defensive coordinator <laughs> and make him assistant coach <laughs> assistant head coach right yeah. yeah assistant head coach and let him run the d wow. in a place that you're beloved i know he, he won't he wouldn't do it because yeah i'm just saying he wouldn't do it though because of his ego yeah that, that would not be a good situation you know, Ian Eberflus would be, it would be like Ron Rivera is back with Lovey. You know, there were they, they, that was a battle behind the scenes. You know, Lovey didn't like some of the things that Rivera did, and a lot of the players agreed more with Rivera than than uh, uh, Lovey. So that was an awkward situation. And he uh, first chance he got to get rid of him, he did and brought in. Just his to buddy. be fair, though, Lovey was the DC under Mike Martz, and then when Lovey was in Chicago. Martz was his offensive coordinator. So it's not unprecedented, although probably not going to happen. 
Yeah, you know, the one of the things that I heard about Lovia criticism is that he would rely too much on people that he knew. And he didn't acquire uh, assistant coaches or coordinators based on an interview and, and finding out more about them and getting answers to specific questions. He would rely more on guys he's worked with in the past and then try to figure out how to run things after that. And, and that's not a good leadership style. That's not a good management style. You, you need to do thorough interviews with whoever you're hiring to work with and overlook past friendships if you really, really want to do it the right way. But I don't always do it myself. I <laughs> well, bring in my friends and do stuff with me. Babbage the nostalgia today. of Lovey, though. Yeah, Babbage. Fuck Bob Babbage. But the... <laughs> The nostalgia with Lovey would would be uh, something that, yes, it, it would be. Oh my gosh, it would be so cool! But I want to yeah. win championships. So I don't know if it's Lovey or Eberflus or or whoever. I, I want to win championships. I'm, I'm starting. I, I go through phases during the season. Like you know, I was happy a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't you know as distressed as I normally am after a Packer loss or after any loss. But now I feel like, you know, because I guess I was smoking a lot of reefer back then. <laughs> it mellowed me out. Now I'm, I'm starting to get jittery. It's like I'm doing cocaine. <laughs> it's like, ah. So let's get a win on Sunday. That would be Yeah, if that would be great. And if shit my personal life doesn't just ease up, I'm going to start doing drugs myself, I think, at this point. <laughs> Although, to be fair, the people that keep fucking me are the people that do drugs. So Yeah, yeah. So, Maybe uh, not. Let's not go the uh, ironic way and become a right. Reality. I'll just play. I'll just stay back here and play with my penis. Like, uh, like the intro says. With, do you want to share with people a little bit more about what you're talking about? Because okay, I, so I the quick summary, because we don't want to waste the show on this where we had to already waste a half hour. So I wake up and uh, I, I'm walking outside and there's a package. I'm leaving for work and there's a package. I'm like, oh, fuck. The, what, what's this? It's UPS second day air. So I'm like, wow, you know, what the hell? I didn't order anything. And I open it and it's a credit card and the name on it's fucked up. It's like, I'm Spiro Agnew, the former vice pre president of the, the United States. It <laughs> says Daniel Agnew, but it's an Apple credit card with the Goldman Sachs logo on it. That has no phone number to call and no numbers for a credit card. So I call the number on the envelope because it doesn't even clearly indicate who the sender is. The number doesn't work. And so I call Apple I'm on the phone with those fuckers. 45 minutes, I got transferred four times. But this was a legitimate credit card. But thankfully, the motherfucker who, who tried to... I know who it is because he can't spell worth shit. He doesn't, even though I'm... Uh, well, I won't say what I was about to say. That, let's just say he knows my last name, but it can't spell it. So that's a giveaway on Agnew. Jesus, and, I remember. Yeah, Exactly. And, and, and furthermore, oh, allegedly, allegedly, mm -hmm. allegedly, I'm not disseminating any attacks on someone for some kind of civil lawsuit in any way. All I can tell you is they said that the person who tried to enter the card didn't have my correct birth date or social, so it won't affect my credit fucking score. But it's still, it was very distressing. And again, I wasted 45 minutes of my time uh, getting transferred and trying to just eradicate this. So now I've started that thing called what is it again i told you a minute ago id some shit i got it from forbes magazine mm -hmm. I, I, legal shield legal shield yeah so i'm paying 15 dollars a month so if someone tries to put a credit card in my name it's supposed to tell me mm -hmm. but yeah it's terrifying man of course I, I i contact the officer that's working my case and he's off till saturday of course he's off till saturday 
called so, I mean, ID Shield. ID Shield. Yeah, my bad. But no. yeah. So it's just it, maybe they'll, they'll cut your rate. <laughs> ID Shield, buy it now. <laughs> Danzig. Robert Shapiro used to uh, do their spot. I, I don't know. I think he, he uh, no, his was Legal Shield. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yes. Yeah, you could like do documents and stuff. Um, the fuck, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a shitty situation, and I'm not trying to get pity or sympathy, but this is what's really happening. Yeah, it's it is what's happening, uh, and uh, I I'm really really distressed that you're going through this. It's not fun when you see a a friend having to live, you know, with the uh, thinking. I don't want to use the word anxiety because uh, that would give this guy too much credit, you know, for what he's trying to do to you. But uh, he's fucking with you, and I don't want anybody to fuck with my buddy Dan Aguirre. When Dan Aguirre comes to Chicago for that Vikings game, anybody. Fuck with Dan, they're gonna fuck with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe Pesci, there, huh? <laughs> a little, a little, really, a little, <laughs> a little De Niro. Although, Let me ask you a question: yeah. For uh, if you were Joe Pesci yeah. in Casino, mm-hmm. is it worthy of fucking Sharon Stone, Robert De Niro's woman, knowing that you're gonna get beaten to death with a baseball bat because you got to have sex with her a few times, or no? All right, I- I'm gonna be. Uh, totally honest which we always try to do in the show once in a while we have to lie because we don't want to go to jail (laughs) (laughs) but no to the sharon stone from from casino but yes from the sharon stone from basic instinct fucking hey i'd risk it (laughs) (laughs) well his brother was beaten to death with a bat too though yeah yeah that is true then again your brother's done things to you so maybe that would be okay Ah, <laughs> uh, handsome Duke says, "Fuck no, I ain't fucking nobody with the risk of uh, uh, with any risk." Yeah, I, I'm being somewhat sarcastic because you know, if De Niro's your buddy, you can't fuck your buddy's girlfriend. I mean, no, that, 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 that's off limits. No, no. But and speaking of Chicago, let's just hope this time there's no drama. But I, I'm flying alone, so there's no way a woman could create. Uh. any madness what's funny is that uh we've met what three times now and in each of those trips you brought a woman with you and so i was thinking about this the other day as i'm taking a shit you know and and, and thinking man this guy travels with pussy (laughs) you know that's the first first thing dan aguire packs when he's going on a trip yeah where's the pussy oh are you come here look at me i'm like vince neal in 1985 like motley (laughs) crew I see. I didn't say Tommy Lee because my fucking dick's like Tommy's divided by three or something, you know. I refuse to watch that video because of that reason. <laughs> the other day, uh, Boogie Nights was on, and the last thirty minutes, so I watched the the last uh, uh, yeah last act of the movie, and uh, they show that scene where Mark Wahlberg pulls out his penis, and it's it's this fucking sixteen inch cobra, and I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, holy shit. Where can I buy one of those? <laughs> yeah, you know, Stern Stern had a segment last week, one of the days he was live, uh, which is rare, but he, he had a segment where this guy was allegedly getting a penis reduction surgery. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I thought the breast, breast reduction was crazy. <laughs> but at least the woman can say it's hurting her back or maybe there's cancer or what have you. What's this fucking the big cock guy's, like, excuse? Yeah. That's- I mean, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. It's not like I... You know, I would be embarrassed to show my shit, you know, but still 
Like if this guy's got 11 soft and he's wanting to reduce it, what the fuck? I have no sympathy for him. He was saying shit like, oh, I can only put a couple of inches in and I can't hold a relationship because of my cock. I'm like, what? This would be like me telling you I can't hold a relationship because my cock's medium. You know? <laughs> well, I have heard stories where guys who have uh, who have big penises, sometimes the, a lot of the women complain, saying, I can't have sex with you because that thing is going to kill me. And so when you're faced with a situation like that, if he's got you know a lot of women telling him that, or if he's married and his wife is telling him that, then you might want to consider cutting you know, no cutting no that's when you off. just you 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 go down and you do a great job like that there you go anyway that's fun anyway I, I i hate it when guys pretend mm -hmm. when they pretend they don't like to eat pussy you know it's like it's it's fashionable to pretend you don't do it do you know who sharon kitts is and i'm not talking and i didn't say sharon tits, <laughs> sharon tits. Do you know who she is i do oh okay I, see, I figured. <laughs> I figured my bachelor friend had something to do with Sharon's appearance on this show. I, I, we've we've done nothing. There's been, you know, I, I know who she is. I'm just saying, there's no, you know. And you've already warned her that you, she, you're not going to hurt her in any way. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt her. I'm not going to hurt her. <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm okay. I might accidentally fall into a female orgasm here or there. Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, I do all right. I, I guess. remember those days. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. All right, you know, uh, th this interview with Dan Weeder, I thought we were going to go 20 minutes, but he was into it, I was into it, and so we went 40 minutes. And so, what I've decided to do is to cut it up in two portions. The first portion is dedicated entirely to, to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you and a million other uh, uh, followers of the Bears, beat writers and reporters, it's dedicated to the fact that he, among others, but he gets a lot of criticism for being negative. And Dan, you're one of them, right? I 100% advocate what you just said. <laughs> what, have you ever interacted with him on social media? Yeah, he got mad at me uh, last season or maybe the season before when I called him Mr. Negativity. And I put it in quotation marks and he's like, I've had enough of this Mr. Negativity shit. God damn it. He didn't cuss, but you know, Oh my God. Uh, he, addressed me, he addressed me directly saying he had enough of being called Mr. Negativity, but he didn't unfollow you or, I mean, he didn't, no, he did not block me, which again, as I keep telling you, David Hall and Brad Biggs have done. And I don't even know why, because we never had an altercation like that. Mm-hmm. And and Stephen, yes, the interview is pre-recorded. Unfortunately, he was not available on Tuesday night, so I said, "Listen, you know, to get you on, let's pre-record it." And and Dan, at at one o'clock during the day, Dan, you're sleeping, right? If things are going well, yes, because I work <laughs> evenings and midnights. But I because all this bullshit, gratuitous drama at the house have been awake a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I wish you would have been there. I think you would have enjoyed it as much as, or maybe even more than I did. Uh, so. Let's listen to it. Again, it's about 20 minutes, and then we'll pause. Uh, Dan and I will talk. And then the last 20 minutes, are, uh, uh, we were talking about the Chicago Bears, the upcoming game, the rest of the season, next season, and so forth. So it's good stuff. You know, Maybe this first segment, you know, it may not be of great interest to some of our followers because it is about sports journalism. It is about sports reporting. It's, that's something that I – It's a bye week. Avoid. 
It's a bye right. week, so right. it's it's added content for stuff like this. Exactly, you know, and and I and I think you do too. You really appreciate sports reporting, sports broadcasting, sports journalism, and so forth. Sure. So I think I think a lot of fans do. I know uh, Stephen does is on his show, the Double A team. He's talked with uh, members of the media before, and uh, so here here it is. I won't say anything more. Uh, this is Dan Weeder, a beat reporter for uh, the Chicago Bears for the Chicago Tribune. Dan, thank you very much for taking some time uh, from your day. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, it airs on Tuesday night, and I know you've got tons and tons of work, so for you to carve out some time to talk to us is is really appreciated. No, I'm happy to do it. I'm uh, appreciative that you reached out, and uh, I, I tell people all the time I like having conversations in this forum. They can be a little bit more productive, a little bit more comprehensive, and a little bit more informative than than you can have on Twitter, where uh, sometimes a, 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 a you know 200 word or 200 character tweet creates a reaction that you didn't intend, and yeah. then it just takes on a life of its own. So here, at least, we can have a back and forth and 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 talk to each other, which yeah. is fun. I've been on both sides of that, or I posted something and somebody took it entirely different, <laughs> differently than I intended. And I've also been uh, accusing people of, hey, why did you say that? And then they explained why. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, totally get it. Right. And it's, you, you just, I, I mean, it's just a more civil <laughs> situation, right, for us to, to, to be face to face here in this forum and be able to, mm -hmm. to chat a little bit and, and be able to understand where, uh, where certain uh, thought processes come from and, and how, we, uh, how we get to where we get to with some of our coverage of the Bears. Okay, and as I told the audience just before you came on, we're going to basically delve into two sections here. And one is your job as a sports journalist, and the other is uh, talk a little bit about the Chicago Bears. So let's start with this idea of uh, sports journalism. Can you first, you know, you, you, you wear a number of different hats, but first as a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, can you describe your role and responsibilities there? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's a 365-day blanket the team, be the eyes and the ears on the beat type of role in which, you know, reporting is is mandatory, obviously. Uh, and then obviously it is, it, there's a, a, a process of providing information and insight that is informed, right, and making sure that that is the basis of all that you're pushing forth and, and providing. And that comes from many different angles. I, I know that there can sometimes be a, a, a misconception that, that being a reporter on a professional sports beat is basically sitting in press conferences and talking to a coach with nowadays everything that is broadcast live for, for everyone to see. There's so much more to it. There's so many more relationships you build over the years of people that used to work in the organization that are now elsewhere that can provide insight and illuminate things that you never knew and, and, and help you understand the inner workings of coaching staffs and philosophies and buildings and all of those things. And so um, really to boil it down, it's just, it's just being a 365 day a year, uh, reporter and 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 blanketing the chicago bears the best we can i'm very lucky at the chicago tribune to be paired with brad biggs and colleen kane um our numbers have have reduced significantly since i started there 10 years ago uh, and we do the best with what we have left and we have a lot a, a lot more left than a lot of places have and so it's just a a challenge of providing our audience with as much content information and insight as we can about the team that they love yeah, I worked at WBBM News for uh, six years in the mid '80s, and um, you know, typically you do a news story a day. And nowadays, uh, print and broadcast reporters are doing multiple stories a day because you're doing the work of three, four people. 
Yeah, and the news cycle has changed so dramatically. You know, I, I came out of college in, in the late 90s and, and, you know, had my first job in 1999 out in Naperville covering high school sports. And, and the way that life has changed in terms of the beast needs to be fed three or four times a day, right? And, and so there isn't just a, hey, this is the story of the day. Let's get it ready for tomorrow's paper. Let's take a breath when we can. It's, it's nonstop. And you're doing that for, uh, you know, an online publication. Uh, you know, for me, I wear different hats. As you mentioned, I'm an on-air analyst for WSCR in Chicago. We do a podcast called Take the North for Odyssey. There, there are so many, I do some uh WGN work for their show, Chicago Football Weekly, which airs every Saturday. Uh, so there's a lot. There's a lot of, of forums to provide the content that you you acquire, and then you just have to, to figure out what fits best for each each sort of template and and where you're going with with some of your thoughts. But yeah, t- to your point, there's a lot there. Mm. So in your role as reporter for the Tribune, sports journalist covering the Chicago Bears, do you feel or are are you an advocate for sports fans? Explain that to me a little bit more. Well, uh, my sense of journalism growing up was that the reporter was trying to get answers for the reader. Uh, so trying to find out from the city commissioner on yeah. garbage pickup, you know, why, why isn't the, the garbage being picked up at all those neighborhoods, uh, stuff like that. So as a sports journalist, do you look at your job through the prism of this is what the fans want to know, or is that different? I, I think it's part of it. I think there's a bigger piece of the pie where that's a big piece of the pie where you say, yes, I, I, I need to understand the desires of our audience and what do they want to learn about? What are their, their interests? What are the things that are most important to them and try to provide answers that, that, that to the questions that they have. I think there's also a responsibility to have a wider lens to see things that, that fans might not see because their prism is a little more narrow. And so as a reporter, you go out and you try to bring things to them that they wouldn't otherwise think about or otherwise consider. Right. And, and, and it may help, um, widen their perspective, broaden their perspective, give them a better understanding of how a football team works, how, how the NFL works, how a player's mindset works, those types of things that, that you know, some of the expertise that you gain by being on a beat for a long time is, offers you perspective that, that fans don't have. And so to bring them some of that, uh, I think only helps further the discussion. It only helps uh, further the understanding of a team and, and then hopefully ultimately gives people as much as they want, right? You can't make people consume things they don't want to consume, but, but you, you make it available to them on the buffet. And if they choose to, to go to that, that station on the buffet, well, now they've got more available to them to, to then shape kind of how they feel, how they see things, how they interpret things that they're watching with their football team. Does, does it uh, surprise you sometimes that fans uh, are critical of your work when you're trying to do just that and provide points of view that perhaps they have not considered? Um, it doesn't surprise me. I, I think that beyond sports journalism, that it would be really nice if, if overall as a, a society, we could become more open-minded, right. And, and, and more open to considering things that, that challenge viewpoints that we have, or, um, you know, in some ways dispute viewpoints that we have and, and be willing to, consider those things and figure out where they come from and, and, and have those back and forth discussions that, that help, uh, you know, debate to be more productive conversation to be more productive. The, the understanding of, of issues to be more comprehensive. Um, 
Look, I think we we opened uh, up the doors to a social media world in the late 2000s, probably, you know, 2008, 2009 era that you know, we're never going to be able to close those doors. And so that's opened up um, interaction that in some ways is valuable and in a lot of cases is invaluable, is invaluable. And then in other cases, it's not valuable. You know, I, the, the analogy I always draw, um, if I go to a restaurant and, and I don't like the food and the service of that restaurant, I don't typically stop by that restaurant once a day to yell, hey, I hate your food. I hate your restaurant. I'm never coming here again. But that's not always the case with sports fans where I'll get repetitive things from, from, from audience members on social media that are, are more than happy to tell me 10 or 11 times per week how much they hate my coverage. And my response is kind of like, I'm not coming to your door and forcing you to, to – to, to follow this or, or, or to consume it. So that's a choice you've made. And if this is the way you're reacting, that's on you. And, and, and so that, that's a kind of a long winded answer to, I think uh, some of what you were asking there. Yeah. And, and, you know, it really bugs the heck out of me when I see some of the vitriol directed at you or whatever reporter is sharing an opinion or an insight um, I mean, I, I was looking through your timeline, uh, <laughs> and some of the, I want to repeat some of the things, although I've used much rougher language uh, around the house here, but nonetheless, it's just not cool to do that. And I wish people would do exactly what you said, which is engage in uh, constructive criticism, but that's not always the case. Well, one of the things I have to remind myself is that, that it, it's still a very small vocal minority of people that do that. And, and when you have a large following, you have to expect those things and, and that the mass, <laughs> the masses and, and the overwhelming majority are respectful and they understand where you're coming from. And many of them don't ever reply because they're just consuming and taking it in and thinking about it and discussing it with their friends. And so uh, I, I try to remind myself all the time and some, some weeks you need to remind yourself more often that, that this isn't, the, this isn't representative of the entire Chicago bears fan base. These people that come at you and, and, and you know, as you said, say some pretty nasty things for, for, for really no good reason. Yeah. Tell me about the nuance of the different uh, uh, responsibilities that you hold, the different jobs that you hold, like an, uh, uh, an analyst at the score sports radio, your podcast and so forth. How do, how do those things change in terms of your responsibilities or how you see those roles? Well, it's blended together a lot uh, during my time in the field and, and, look like back in the day when I started, when I came out of journalism school at the university of Illinois, reporters were reporters and, and it was, it was, uh, you know, 99.9% fact-based and you present things that's, that's changed a lot. There's been a lot of evolution to allowing the freedom for a reporter on a beat to provide some opinion, some analysis, some insight, my challenge and my responsibility, it is, a, it is a very serious responsibility and something I take very seriously is to make sure that those things are, are informed, right? Like that, that, that any opinion I have comes from reporting and, and, and being informed and understanding as much as I can about whatever I'm opining on to the, the point that it makes sense to the audience that I'm speaking with. Now, you're going to have sort of different forms that, that you're uh, analysis can be presented in a, a print product or online in, in a written article than you have when you're having a live free-flowing discussion with an on-air uh, host, right? <laughs> Sometimes those discussions go down paths that you weren't expecting them to. When you're writing an article that, that's going down a path you don't expect it to, you've got the the, the power of the backspace key and the, the shift <laughs> highlight delete key. If, if you don't like what's going there, 
when you're live on the air, you don't have that luxury. And as you know, right. And, and, and so there is a, a challenge of making sure, um, you know, in all forums that you're prepared and, the, and that the information you have is, is as rock solid as can be because you don't want to um, further narratives or, or, or falsities that aren't, that aren't rooted in reality. Were you making reference at all to uh, your radio partner <laughs> calling you something two Fridays ago? It doesn't carry over. So Danny's arguing for logical ironclad superiority, which I don't think he's going to give in at any point. He's, he's not. And that's why we're just stuck. And that's, like, there's other things we can talk about about this football team than the one desired outcome that Danny has every single day. Dude, I didn't bring it up, you <laughs> condescending piece of crap. Like, what the hell is the problem with you today, man? Wow. Calm down. I'm, I'm just trying to talk about the football team that I cover outside hey. of the lane of uh, – wow. Wow. Speaks, ask me a question. Like, let's get on a – I mean, I've had, obviously so – and, and this is at multiple stations now. I've had some on-air uh, arguments, and, and they are what they are. They're, they're sports arguments, and, and you try to – put them to bed at the end of the day and, and not let them carry on. But certainly that there are some conversations that can become heated and can be, become contentious. And it's, you know, uh, it's my responsibility to make sure that it doesn't become personal and it doesn't become something that isn't helping the audience because your ultimate responsibility is to the people that are consuming the information and the, and the content. And hopefully their understanding of that. I always tell people, and, and you may have heard me say this in a different forum, to the criticism that that I am overwhelmingly negative about the Bears, I you know before I came to Chicago, I spent two years in Minnesota covering the Vikings, seven years down in North Carolina covering college basketball. Well, in my seven years on Tobacco Road covering college basketball, I covered three national championship teams, two at North Carolina and one at Duke. If you go back through those seven years of my coverage of those teams, it's not negative because the product wasn't negative, right? It was a, a winning, successful product. And that's one of the things that, that I think Bears fans have to understand is that I can only cover what's in front of me. And I'll give you some numbers because I, I looked these up just to, to make sure that my my context was informed 10 seasons. Now this is my 10th season on the bears beat. The bears have finished in last place four times, assuming they're going to remain there this year because they're well back of the lions and for third place in the division, they've won one division championship, had one winning season, zero playoff wins, six seasons with double digit losses, four coaches, three general managers, five week one starting quarterbacks, by any metric, that is not a, a uh, successful organization or a successful team. And so if, if I were to go out and paint some rosy positive picture about that, you'd say, what is that guy doing? He's, he's not, you know, not, not attached to reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is the irony of it is that so many of the fans who might be criticizing you for being too negative are themselves very negative about the team <laughs> because it's a negative product that the Bears have been putting out for many years now. <laughs> Right. And then the last time they had three consecutive winning seasons was in 1988. You know, and I know that that's a lifetime ago for both of us. <laughs> and that hopefully, you know, and some of this is, is to challenge the organization to someday soon clear that hurdle so that we have a run in this city where there are three consecutive winning seasons and there are a run of playoff berths that, that keep the bears in, in championship contention. Everybody remembers 2005 06 and how fun that run was. I've talked to reporters that, that were here covering the team and say, there's nothing like it. When the Bears are on a run, this, this city comes alive in a way that you cannot even imagine. I experienced it in 18. I remember in 2019, the hope and the expectation that were attached to that 100th season and, and what that team was, was supposed to be capable of achieving, and then they missed the playoffs. And so we didn't get that you know, continuation of the success that was there, and we haven't had it since. Um, 
I've, I've reached out to a couple of people uh, who I know have been negative of your, <laughs> you and your work and so forth. And one of them is the co-host of the show. And I'll play an audio clip that he sent me to share with you. And another one is, is a, a guy who uh, is always on the internet uh, consuming bears podcast. And he, he likes these types of shows because, you know, he likes the uncensored uncensored approach to uh, covering the Chicago Bears or covering sports in general. Uh, and during the course of uh, uh, interacting with him uh, over the last two years, he has said a number of negative things about sports journalists. So I asked him, hey, do you have a question for Dan? And he wrote me a very lengthy uh, uh, DM. I won't read it all, but I think the gist of it can be captured uh, in this, and I'll read it to you. He said he asked, do you find it unethical that so many sports journalists use repeatedly anonymous executive sources to report on players, leaving them vulnerable to be used for an agenda considering the uneven power dynamics of the ownership to the player? There's a reason journalists are supposed to avoid and are taught to avoid unnamed sources. Can you address that, please? So that's a good question. And, and a lot of it is case by case. And unfortunately, in my opinion, those uh, the standards that were once applied to journalism back in, you know, again, me coming up through the ranks in the 90s and they, they've they have lessened. There's no question they have lessened across all forums, across all coverage of everything that, you know, politics, news, whatever it is, sports, they, the, 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 the standards have reduced to a, a level that is uncomfortable because there is an over-reliance, in my opinion, on anonymous sources at times when when the goal should be to use that type of information as background to further your reporting to go check things out. Now, I will say this, that, that you can gain a lot of information from talking to people on background that you'd never get them to say if they were on the record and on camera and had a tape recorder in front of them. And so um, it's your responsibility as a reporter to take that very seriously and be very careful with that and understand that it's your responsibility at the end of the day to filter that stuff, to not take everything as gospel. There's a, a saying in journalism school when you're coming up through the, the ranks, it, it, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. And basically it's like you can't take anybody's word for anything, right? <laughs> if your mom says she loves you, you better have support evidence that tells you that. And so if you get information from a, a source on background, from an anonymous source who's telling you something, it's your responsibility to go check that out and not just mouthpiece it and echo it and put it out in the ether as, as gospel or act. It's your responsibility to check and see, is it airtight? Is it, is it something that other people believe? Are there, are there you know, things? Uh, my colleague, Rich Campbell, who worked with me for, I think, seven years on the Tribune Beat, uh, always said his own personal rule was that he would never use an anonymous source to express an opinion. It was only to express something that was a, a detail or a fact that, um, you know, furthered whatever story or whatever issue piece we were working on. Uh, and so that, that, that was his guideline for doing things. Every, every organization and every reporter has to kind of create their own structure right and in, in where they're comfortable and in, in dealing in those those waters and for me i'm old school i really am I'm, I'm i'm an old school person who believes very strongly in journalistic principle and i will go to my death believing in this because i think it is important way beyond sports to making sure that the information that's available to us is reliable 
Um, so I, it's a long-winded answer, but I, I, I think you have to understand and you have to understand as you're trained through education and experience how to go about these things and how to use certain interactions and how uh, to be responsible and not reckless in using them. Excellent. Um, all right, let me play for you um, Dan Aguirre, my, my co-host on the show. His question for you, it's, a, it, it, it's about a minute long. Dan shares a lot of opinions, and Dan is a sweetheart of a guy. <laughs> but when he dislikes somebody, he dislikes somebody. And I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you off here because he's very respectful. Uh, Mr. Weeder, I don't want you to think that I'm being caustic or facetious or adversarial in any way. And this is only my opinion, uh, which does not make it a fact. But having said that, uh, and, and let me just preface by saying I do respect your your writing, and uh, you had a great piece on David Kaplan a few years ago that I really enjoyed. So I'm not trying to say, oh, you're you're not any good or whatever. But I often get frustrated with you listening to your hits. I've gotten to the point where I feel like this is my opinion, and, and ultimately my question. I mean, not to be too brazen, but. Are, are you kind of just doing a shtick? Like, it kind of feels like you're like Steve Rosenblum or it's just like you're like a wrestling bad guy. You're just saying things like for like a, a shock value. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. And I don't even know if you would answer the question, honestly, if that were true. So maybe it's uh, not the best question. But some of the things you say, I'm like, my reaction is to be like, God, why is this guy so negative all the time? And again, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but that's my opinion. Are you just doing this, like, to get reactions, you know, stuff that you say? I honestly feel like if this were 85, you'd be like, oh, McMahon, you know, he was hurt last year, and uh, Walter's older, and uh, Todd Bell's hold, holding out, and uh, now Harris, uh, this team's not going anywhere this year. <laughs> it just, it's just my opinion. That's my buddy, Dan Aguirre. My shorthanded response would be, give me a 15-in-1 uh, season to test whether I would be negative during a 15-in-1 Super Bowl season. I haven't had anything near near that. Like I say, 2018 is the closest we've come to having, during my time on the beat, a run of, of, of excellence by the Chicago Bears. And if you go back through my, my radio hits and my print coverage of that team, you'll see that that season was not framed negatively in any way, shape, or form. Anybody who knows me and who's, who has been alongside me at any point in my career will tell you I'm not a shtick guy. None, none of this is, is wrestling villain, do it for effect thing. That, that, that is the last thing in my wheelhouse, and it, it's something I hate. I hate seeing takes that are out there just to be a take to, to provoke reaction. That's not what I do. It's, it will never be what I do, and that's, that's not who I am. I, I said it for you a little bit ago, what the, what the Bears' success results have been during my time on the beat. I, I have used this analogy before, that the glass half full, glass half empty uh, conversation can only begin if the glass has 50% liquid in it. If the glass has 20% liquid in it and you see it as half full, you're not being an optimist. You're detached from reality. I mean, that's just the, the case in point. It's 20% full. It's not half full. Right. Like, and, and so what I have dealt with for the overwhelming majority of my time on the Bears beat is a team that loses a team that loses far more often than it wins a team that hasn't had a single playoff victory in my time on the beat, a team that, as we've said, is, has switched coaches and GMs and starting quarterbacks, uh, you know, far more often than, than successful teams do. And so I can't crop the photo for you. 
right? Like my role as a, a, a journalist and a reporter is to give you the full picture. You can take things that you want to consider and dismiss things you don't want to consider, but it's not my job to crop that photo and give you only the rosy corner uh, of, of the picture that you want to see so that it helps you feel happier or more hopeful about your team. The other part that I would say to that question, because it was a long question, I, I write for the Chicago Tribune and, and have thousands of words per week that I write. I go on the radio three times per week on WFCR and, and, and do 20 minutes per hit on that. I do a podcast weekly. I am more than happy to respond to specific examples of things that, that, that you would like to challenge me on and say, this specifically was too negative. Why do you feel this about X, Y, and Z? Generally speaking, I think if you followed my work through all those forums, and I believe me, I don't expect everyone to, to follow every word I write and every word I say on the air, but you would find that, that my coverage of the Chicago Bears is fair, it's balanced, it's informed, it's reporting-based. And so uh, if that comes across as negative, it's because the product that the team is putting out is unsuccessful. And I don't know anyone that would argue with me on that, that, that is looking at this from an objective lens and say the Bears have been a successful organization, not only in my 10 years on the beat, but for the last, you know, 30 years, really in the, in the post Mike Dick era. Yeah. You know, uh, when this topic has come up on our show before I've used the term adversarial journalism and that it is your job to uh, challenge the head coach, the general manager, the players on certain things to ask them about a play that broke down or a strategy that didn't work or a player or players who were drafted and didn't pan out. And that is uh, what I, how I grew up when I was reading Don Pearson at the Chicago Tribune, Cooper Rollo at the Chicago Tribune, Ray Sons over at the Sun-Times. I mean, as a kid, I used to pick up all four Chicago, there used to be four Chicago dailies in, in Chicago, uh, Dan. And I used to pick all, of, pick all of them up and start with the sports section and get the different takes as to what was yeah. going on. And the reporters that I respected the most were the ones that were challenging uh, George Hallis and the McCaskey family uh, about the decisions that they were making. I think that's what we as fans and, uh, you know, back then I was paying a dime for each of those newspapers. That's what I deserve for my dime. So isn't that ad being an adversarial journalist part of your role? Well, it, it is doing the things that you said and, 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 and questioning and challenging and, and seeking answers to, to bigger picture issues and, and smaller picture transactions, right. That go hand in hand with determining the success of an organization. One of the things I'm most proud of during my time on all the beats that I've covered is, is typically when either I leave a beat or, you know, as we have here in Chicago, when coaches or, or executives leave the organization, if you are able to have, um, create strong relationships that are, are based in fairness, right? That are based in curiosity, that are based in uh, information gathering. It, it tends to um, be appreciated and, and respected by the people you cover. And, and, and I don't know a, a lot of the people, even some that I have challenged and criticized intensely that would tell you, oh, you know, Dan's a hatchet man, right? Or, or he's, a, he's a guy that, that just comes for blood and he, he's not interested. I tell pretty much every coach and general manager that I, that I cover that for me, the beat is a classroom, right? And, and so I come to learn, I, I come to learn about how you do things, why you do things, what the, are the philosophies behind these things. And then it's my job to emerge from that classroom and take what I've learned and, and take what I've, you know, gathered in my notebooks and, and through my reporting and, and convey it to the audience. And, and when you um, 
allow the people you cover to understand that's the approach you're coming from, it builds up a, a, a trust and a respect and an understanding, a, a mutual understanding of, of how the process can work productively, even if at times it can become contentious or uncomfortable, or you have to, uh, you know, take someone that 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 who, who you really like as a person and criticize their performance to, you know, the nth degree because their performance warrants it, right? And I've had more than a few of those people during my time on the Bears beat. And ultimately, um, if you do it with respect and you do it from a, a, a standpoint of trying to learn and, and, and then take your learnings to, to further the audience's knowledge, I think it's, it's overwhelmingly productive. Dan Aguirre, that ending caught me by surprise. How are you, man? Yeah, I was waiting to see what the graphic was going to say there. It just it kind of looked like the logo that said Back to the Future a little bit. <laughs> it did. To be continued um, four it years later. Continued. You're right. I should have done that. But um, damn, missed the, missed the opportunity. What yeah, do you think it, about his response to your question and his, his thoughts overall? First off, uh, with, with regards to specificity, I can't remember, like I told you before we went on air, we, he and I had a going back and forth on Twitter, uh, either in 21 or 20. I can't remember even what it was about now, but that's when I called him Mr. Negativity in quotation marks and, and it really pissed him off. And again, that's not my, I don't want to be caustic with people, but I was just like, sometimes he seems to be negative just to be negative. I, I will take him in his word. If he says that's not a shtick that he's telling you how he feels, then, you know, I asked him the question. He said, that's not true. So I, you know, I mean, okay, I'll accept that as, is is uh, him being truthful. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he did seem a lot more likable in long form than he does. Cause he does come across somewhat condescending sometimes as Parkins pointed out, but to be fair too, on that interview, you know, Weeder handled it tremendously when the other guy got personal with him. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah he, he was a class act on, on in that particular moment. So I, I come away conflicted. I do think that there, I get it. He, he doesn't cover a lot of winning teams, but, and this isn't specific. I'll be ambiguous unintentionally, but I can't remember exactly what, when it was, it was like earlier this year when he was down on fields, you know, and just, oh, we don't know if he's the, the quarterback and you know, shit like that. That's when I'd be like, well, what more does this guy have to do? Now, he may be in Fields' camp now. I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out in the other part of it. Yes, we will. There's a second part coming up, uh, people who are uh, leaving. <laughs> don't go, don't leave. <laughs> but yeah, but that's what I'm saying. A lot of times on issues like that, he would just be particularly negative. Uh, and it just, it's just like, it's not saying, oh, I want him to tell me that Justin's like, you know, the next Brady or Mahomes. I'm not trying to get him to placate me, but fuck, man, give the kid some credit. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Sometimes he really is negative, but at least hearing him talk, mm -hmm. he he's saying that I'm not trying to do it just to piss you off. I'm just giving you my opinion and his opinion is as valid as my own. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I won't criticize him for that, but I honestly did think that he was just Steve Rosenblooming it, you know, like, are you just saying shit to make people mad? You know, it, it's interesting. Nomad uh, here uh, says, I smell a redemption tour of his bad image with the fan base, right or wrong or indifferent. And, I, you know, that's an interesting thought. I mean, that's something that I would do if you know I felt like people were misunderstanding what I've been saying or writing or whatever. You know, I would, I'd like to go on some shows and, and like 
Dan and Dan pointed out, doing it in a long form format is is a better way to express your thoughts and get people to perhaps understand a little bit. But I, I feel like um, you know, all along the guy has been f- right in terms of his reporting is based on facts, and it's not his job to be rosy pictured about things. It's not, you know, it's not the, the sports journalist's job to say, you know, hey, better days are ahead uh, if you really, really don't feel that. And he doesn't. He clearly doesn't because like Mike North, uh, who is always critical of the Bears, Mike is a guy, and I think Dan Weeder is, that wants to see it before he can believe it. He's it's fact based uh, uh, observations, and so I, I I I'm willing to give him slack when I see. It. I actually criticized him in a couple of tweets. He said something about you know this was a disaster game against what was the last loss before the Packers when the Bears were totally annihilated. What game was that? The Jets. The Jets. And Fields the, didn't play that day. Right. And I'm like, dude, you know, I retweeted it and it said, dude, did you take a look at the injury report? You know, this is why they lost so badly. It's not, there's some context here that you were missing because his, his, his tweet was very accusatory of the Bears in, in a way that he didn't provide context for that. Uh, so I understand how, I think I understand how you feel and many of the fans who dislike him, but at the same time, I He's a reporter, and he's telling it like it is. It's the old the old Howard Cosell. I grew up with Howard Cosell. I'm telling it like it is. That's what he would do, and and that's always been my image of what reporters should do. What do you think about uh, what do you think about? Um, uh, oh, geez, I lost my train of thought. He said something about um, oh uh, regarding Chubbs's question about quoting unnamed sources did you have a thought on that i i think the part that stuck out to me about that more than any was when he was paraphrasing rich campbell saying basically don't don't use unnamed sources to express an opinion Mm -hmm. i guess you're using unnamed sources on background just to sort of uh give you the authentication to run a story like Mm -hmm. you need two or three sources, but don't use it as like, this is my opinion, you know, and just hiding behind a, an unnamed source. I thought that was a, a good uh, reference point. If, if that's truly the way he does it, I, I don't read him enough to know that most of my experiences with him are with his audio hits. Right. And I don't know if you brought this up. There was the word going around that, you know, he left the ESPN cause he couldn't replace Jeff Dickerson. And, no. uh, like he said, he mentioned, I've done multiple, I've been in multiple uh, verbal altercations on various stations. Right. I, I'm, I'm trying to be fair. He, he, he's someone that rubs people wrong, I think, in, in a lot of situations. And I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't want to suddenly act like I'm his biggest fan or something. But uh, he does sometimes just, he just, he's a little like, I don't think he's like Cosell here. I mean, uh, granted, I'm not sitting. Uh, <laughs> I've been so upset this season. It's not like I'm watching the pressers after the game. I don't even want to hear about it. Like, fuck, I'll talk to Aldo Tuesday. <laughs> uh, 
But I, I don't remember him being Mr. Hard Question in the pressers either here the way. No, he, he does. I, I'm telling you. I, he and uh, Mark Potash are two names that immediately come to mind uh, that I think they ask. Uh, See, Jason Leisure is the one to me that asked the Jason tough question. Jason Leisure, too. You're absolutely right. Um, it, it is it, – somebody uh, pointed out, and I think I erased it, darn it, um, that – during the uh, Matt Nagy years, Nagy was getting a lot of softball questions, and I think that this the the this group of reporters has learned from that. You know, Nagy didn't start getting the tough questions until his last season when when it was a one loss, uh, a, a negative one loss record, and I think that they've just kind of carried that on. That a, a really aggressive, uh, aggressive might be not might might not be the right word but a, a challenging tone in a lot of the questions. And the fact of the matter is that they've lost, what, seven in a row now? It, it, the questions are going to be. Nine out of ten. Nine out of fucking ten. Yeah, they were two and one. Two and one. <laughs> uh, I want to. Uh, uh, and, and, yeah, Potash and Leisure, those are the guys, along with Dan Weeder, I think, who, who ask the best questions. I wanted you, your, you to comment on something that Nomad uh, wrote here. I saved it. Here it is. <laughs> Nomad says, it's like Dan Weeder is priming himself for a Fox News job. <laughs> that's good. Like, oh, I do. I do. That's that's good. <laughs> but here's another thing from your uh, really good buddy, uh, Retro. He says, is Dan Weeder a Bears fan or a fan of another team? See, that's the thing. It doesn't fucking matter. It's, it's not his job to be a fan of the Chicago Bears. It's his job to report on the Chicago Bears. And I would offer this. I think that the best investigative sports journalist, and, and he's not an investigative journalist, but I, so I should just say, I think that the best sports journalists don't have favorite teams. It's like there's a lot of reporters who will not vote in elections because they don't want to show bias. They want to try to be as objective as possible. Not that that's possible, totally possible, but it is possible to be more objective if you're not staying out of the, out of the uh, political races and elections and so forth. And for a sports reporter, they too should probably not be rooting for a team. And I've, I've always been shocked when I've heard audio of sports reporters cheering a team on, rooting for a team and so forth. That's not really their job. Their job is to ask the tough questions, get to the bottom of why they won or why they lost or why they traded that guy or why didn't they make trades, all of that stuff. So I think that Retro is, with this comment that he made here, is kind of giving us a clue as to why people might be negative of these reporters when they really shouldn't be. You're, you're like, fuck you. When are you going to shut up? No, no, man. I appreciate your passion. I'm just, I didn't want to interrupt you. But, no. you know, I, I could see Retro's point for just, a, just, just playing devil's advocate. It, it, I'm not even saying, I'm not accusing Weeder of this at all. Mm -hmm. But like, like he mentioned that he was in Minnesota two years. But I'll, I'll take it farther. Like, what if you knew, this could be Weeder or anybody else, but what if you knew that they were just, Fucking Green Bay fans working our beat. There is a certain uh, amount of, you know, just malice that would come with that. You're like, I don't even want to hear what this fucking guy has to say, you know? You're right. So, yeah. So, again, if Retro's asking, 
you know, is this guy like, again, if he's a fan of Minnesota or green Bay, that might be part of why he's so negative on Chicago all the time. So I think that is somewhat relevant. Now, again, he's not supposed, like you said, he's not supposed to be one of the, the honey bears. He's not out there cheering, you know, like that's a data reference, but you know, he's not supposed to be, you know, fucking fanboying it. Like I would be, or like Phil did during the press conference that time. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was see that, and he got into trouble. For those people who don't know, Phil Toshin worked for the USA Today's uh, Bears Wire, and he attended a press conference when the team was having practices with the New England Patriots. And according to some people, Phil was fawning uh, Jay Cutler when, and I would have too. <laughs> but that's not what Jay, you want me to wax your fucking car bro i mean come on no no i get your point it's not i, I know what you're doing in a press conference this is you know again unbiased reporters trying to get information and so uh uh phil i, I won't comment anymore but it was not a happy conclusion to that uh, press conference that day for uh for poor phil anyway poor phil <laughs> He probably thinks on oh, this motherfucker talk about condescending fucking also. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. I, I start a couple of other ones. Uh, by the way, you and I talked about what we are going to do during the off season. We talked about the 1985 Bears and revisiting that over a period of several shows. But Jay Sanders now is making a a point here about maybe it shouldn't be the 85 bears or maybe the 85 bears and the 06 bears, because he wrote this. I think Tommy Harrison, Mike Brown injuries cost us super bowl six, not lovey. And so yeah. that is something we could talk about for weeks. Jesus. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I've made all those DVDs uh, for the other Dan, uh, not mm-hmm. Weeder, but uh, from bears country. <laughs> you know. right. I'm, Dan Weeder doesn't want to watch them. I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm joking. He's not here to defend himself. But the, the other day I made him the 85 in the 06. And I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. I, I pitched him one night on air or on the phone. I was like, what we could do in the off season was, you know, to take one of those games one week at a time mm-hmm. and like, just dive in. What were the reporters saying leading into the game coming out of the game? and just watch the game and like take notes and talk about it because the 85 bears, I know there's so many people that will say, you know, I'm sick of hearing 85. I'm going to hear about the super bowl shuffled. It's 40 fucking years ago, but the 85 bears sell, man, the 85 bears sell. There's no way around it. Absolutely. So that's what I was telling him. Like, you're going to get some numbers, whether you, you remember a couple of years ago, not to tug on my own dick, but I did that thing. Why the 85 bears didn't repeat or, why the team was broken up or whatever. And I was just kind of like a, on the peripheral, I barely appeared, but I did that. And like, you showed me like I had the best numbers that summer. That's right. And it wasn't because it was me. Nobody knew who the fuck I was at the time. I was just the guy that did voices for Phil. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil would say, Hey, I got Thomas Jones coming on, read this script for me. Yes, sir. You know? And uh, I, I like Phil, you know, yeah, I'm just I saying, like uh, but, but I did those kind of things in uh, the voice of the ballroom. I wasn't anybody, but again, talking about the 85 bears is the point is that's why people were listening to that. People were downloading that and people don't get tired of that. Yeah. So yeah, we could go to eight Oh six as well. And I agree. Uh, Mike Brown's injury to me was way more costly than Tommy. And I don't want to de- degrade Tommy, but I think if Mike Brown is back there as Mike Brown, then we beat the Colts, man. But yeah, Tommy could have helped too. Because maybe there's pressure on Peyton Manning and he's not just standing there. But that's the thing I hate about Super Bowls and stuff is like Manning is MVP that day and basically did nothing. Yeah. 
I, I let's let's plan on doing 85 and 06 because I think those would be fabulous topics. And frankly, now, wait, how many weeks are in the summer though? Think of you got you were talking about. Well, let's say the 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 Super Bowl. Let's say you give a few weeks to 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 digest the Super Bowl. So let's say March first, right? Right. But you you got free agency starting too, so you got to kind of be current there. Oh yeah. Uh, but I mean, there's 16 weeks in a season, and then you got three playoff games with the 85. So. That's 19 weeks if you do one game at a time. I don't know if we have time to do both. Yeah, we, we don't. You're you're absolutely right. We don't. I mean, and we could we'll talk about this at a production meeting, but we we don't have to devote an entire show to each game. We could, you know, say weeks one through three or something like that. But we'll get into that. Um, I, I and let me just say, I'm not trying to steal that idea from the other Dan either, because no. I was pitching it to him. Right to use it on Bears country is the same. I was pitching it to you. I don't know if he intended on doing that or not. And again, I don't want to seem like I'm being duplicitous here. Well, it would be cool if if you guys did '85 and you and you and I did, you know, 2006. But well, he's got Nomad back now, so I don't I don't right. think well, I'll be a parent. We'll but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's inside baseball. Uh, welcome back to the barroom, Nomad. Uh, really, really thrilled that you're back on Bears Country podcast. So. um that, that's a good thing. Let me get this second part of the interview because it is about 20, uh, one or two minutes in. And so I want to make sure you and I have a half hour to talk bears and to talk about that movie and so forth. So here is part two of the interview. And that means that Dan has to go away and I have to go away. All right. So let's challenge some of that so-called negativity that you have. I want to talk a little bit of bears with you before we get you out of here. Um, in listening to some of your hits with Dan Bernstein on, at the Score Sports Radio, it appears that there is a disagreement between the two of you in that Dan is saying most of these players are not going to be with the team next season. This is a complete rebuild, and it appears uh, with my uh, uh, admittedly sometimes selective hearing that you are still not uh, uh, giving them slack, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, that they, that they've got a lot of players out there that are basically bridge players for the real team that they're going to acquire over the next couple of seasons. Am I wrong there? Uh, what, what's going on there? Well, I, I would just say that that I think that there is a hope that a lot of people have attached to a reality that doesn't exist yet. Like the teardown is the easy part. Anyone can 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 tear something down. The rebuild is the difficult part. And so some, some of what I push back with, with Dan is so if, if we've resigned ourselves to the fact that nothing within the 2022 season really means anything, then when is it for you as a, as a fan that you are going to start raising the expectations again? Is it week one of 2023 after they've had an off season to, to draft and use all this salary cap space that they have to, to uh, bolster the roster? When, when is it that you're going to reset the bar to a level where you're asking them to clear it again? If we've given them a free pass on 2022, because we've agreed that it's a rebuild and, and that's up to each fan to d determine what that is. What I'm trying to guard against for, for, for people is this, idea that next season there's going to be some magic dust put on this roster and these 40 roster holes that they have to fill will suddenly magically be filled with starting quality players and that the next thing we know they're an 11 win football team and they're competing for a championship that doesn't seem realistic to me with the the, the way that i know how championships are built in the nfl and so i i guess some of my pushback is just is just trying to make certain that 
folks understand where where the realistic path of this team is going. I don't know how you feel about what you think the the 2023 Bears should and will look like and what what kind of victory total you're expecting for that, but everybody's got to have a number in their head. And and my hope is that that number is grounded with the perspective of the quarterback is really really good right now and he's got a lot of room to grow and he's got a chance to be a star. Well, now, how do you surround him with enough so that you don't waste two or three more years trying to get him the support that he needs to be a championship contending team? They're going to come out of the bye week this week, and they're going to play a legitimate Super Bowl championship contender. The following Saturday, they're going to play another legitimate Super Bowl championship contender, and we're going to get a real good glimpse of how different those teams look from the ones that the Bears have now, and it's going to give you an idea of just how far this team has to go. Fair enough. Um Justin Fields, you have uh, you're reporting on him in the beginning of the season. You were questioning, rightfully so, you know the fact that he was having trouble as a quarterback, as a passer of the football. You know the numbers were were putrid, bottom of the league uh, numbers. Over the last several weeks, uh, you've been more complimentary about his role in the passing game. I guess that's an example of just what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no question, right? The results have gotten better. And so the, the, the insight and the analysis of the results have changed because Justin has made undeniable growth in a lot of areas. The, the, one of the most important ones is pocket presence, right? And just feeling comfortable back there and showing the patience and the poise to let your eyes do the work before your legs do the work sometimes. And Justin's going to have to be that guy if he's going to be a star quarterback in this league. You can never take away his gifts as a runner, but ultimately he has to be a more complete quarterback and that's one step he's got to take he's making that that progress and it's really encouraging to see the growth he's made since really the middle of august to now where we are on december 12th and you just hope those stair steps continue now they've got a long way to go right they still have the, the league's worst passing attack and they still have a, a an offense with him as the engine that can't win games late because when teams dare them to throw, they're unable to succeed. That's partly on Justin. It's partly on his supporting cast. It's partly on coaching. It's partly on the operation as a whole. Um, but look like there is a lot to be hopeful about with Justin Fields as a quarterback. There's more to be hopeful than there ever was to be hopeful about with Mitch Trubisky, probably more than there ever was to be hopeful about with J Jay Cutler. And those are the last two big swings you took at the position. And so you should wrap your arms around that hope. You should feel encouraged. You should feel optimistic, but you should also really want the organization to accelerate their process of getting him the requisite help so that they can be in championship contention before you have to pay him $280 million and, and allot those resources to uh, a quarterback when you've got all these other holes on your team, right? And so the quicker, the better they can clear some of these hurdles, the quicker they will be in, in legitimate uh, position to sustain success. Again, we're talking about sustained success. It can't just be a flash. We've had flashes, flashes, flashes. And then when they disappear, it's just so unfulfilling to everyone involved. 1988, the last time they had three consecutive winning seasons. That should be the next goal for this organization is to put together a run of sustained success. And so the lens should be, um, in my opinion, calibrated in a way that says, okay, what can we do to this team to create a run of sustained success? I'm sure uh, in the next few weeks, you'll be writing a column over at the Chicago Tribune about uh, the wins and losses for the Chicago Bears this season. Can you Tell me, in your opinion, what Ryan Pose did wrong in his first season as a general manager. 
I think the, 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 the jury's still out on that. Um, I think we're still learning a lot about his philosophies. I think we're going to have to really give him the offseason of 2023 to fill all these holes he's created. Remember, when you take a, a top 10 pick who is one of the few top 10 picks the Bears have ever had that have, has, has met expectations in Roquan Smith and you give him away for a draft pick, that draft pick better turn into something. Right. I, I get that you can work out the financial details and it's and it's probably imprudent to pay Roquan Smith what he was demanding. And so it was better to let him go to another team and then figure things out anew. But once again, that's a new hole that you've created on the roster that when the year began wasn't a hole. Right. And so now you've got more work to do than you had originally. And so Ryan's got to get to prove to us that he can hit for average, right? That he can have a high batting average in the draft, that he can have a high batting average in free agency and make sure that they're not backpedaling. One of the things that, that constantly um, hurt Ryan Pace was he was correcting errors that he made, right? How many different free agent tight ends did they sign? And it was like, oh, well, now the next year we've got to use another resource to, to plug a hole that we thought we had filled last year. Bill Polian came in here last year and one of the, the recommendations he gave to the the, the management group, the ownership, specifically George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, was that you need 10 to 12 blue chip players to even start thinking about being a championship football team. It was in his assessment at that time that the Bears had six to eight. Well, since that assessment, they subtracted Khalil Mack, they subtracted Robert Quinn, they subtracted Roquan Smith, they subtracted Akeem Hicks, they subtracted Allen Robinson. And I'm not sure that, that we have seen the addition of a blue chip player yet. There's there's some guys that, that have potential, right? But 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 no one that Ryan Poles has acquired in 2022 has, has qualified as that's the blue chipper. That's the guy that you build a championship contender with. That's one of your 10 to 12 that you need to be in championship contention. So we've got to challenge him here in, in, you know, the next four months, right? I guess May 2nd, when the draft ends, we'll have a better look at what this looks like. And then we'll know how much work he, uh, he, he got done and how much work he still has ahead. You know, it's, it's funny, as you were saying that, uh, and you talked about Ryan Pace's uh, mistakes and, and, and now the team has, when you're talking about Bill Polian and now the team has fewer blue chip players, I was thinking to myself, boy, if I were to pull that 30, 60 seconds and post it on social media as a tune <laughs> to this interview, you know what you would get, right? There he goes again. He's being negative. Right. But you're absolutely right. There is no disputing that we have fewer players that can help us win a championship now than we did at the start of the season. Playmakers. Guys that can put the ball in the end zone, guys that can put the quarterback on their behind, right? Like the, the, those are the guys that, that that fuel championship runs. Just to go back real quick on on talking about Justin a little bit, the, uh, another metric to keep a really close eye on as we go forward that takes into account running ability and passing ability is the success of an offense on third down and the success of an offense in the red zone. And the progress the Bears have made in those categories as the season has gone on is undeniable and it's incredibly encouraging. I think they're sixth in the league now in third down efficiency which is a great number to wrap your arms around and say, man, this is this is signs of a quarterback understanding how to make plays when it matters. Those are the types of things that you need to continue to see and, and push forward um, to believe that Justin can go. I think I said this last week that that he's established himself now as a, a reliable playmaking middle tier starter. The next part of the climb to stand out superstar championship fueling guy is far steeper. Right. And so, so now it's up to him to, to kind of continue down that path and, and we'll see what he does with it. 
Speaking of Justin, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, versus Justin Fields, uh, that to me is going to be a fascinating game because I I was a, a, an advocate of Jalen Hurts, and when he was available in the second round, I was praying the Bears would take a chance on him because I saw him as a really good developmental type player and I'm I've come out of the old school Ryan Pace when he came into town said he was going to draft the quarterback every year or every other year and, and of course he never did that and I, I still am clinging to that and even with Justin Fields on the team I would love to see the team draft a day three quarterback and 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 develop that quarterback as opposed to having somebody like a Trevor Simeon on the bench who it really isn't going to give you much um, other than some knowledge in the quarterback room, but you have coaches for that. And uh, so anyway, my question is, uh, what do you see? uh, What do you see in terms of similarities between Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts? And do you think that Justin Fields can replicate what uh, Jalen Hurts has done in Philadelphia and what would need to happen for that to, to transpire? Yeah, the similarities is that they are both dual-threat quarterbacks with amazing gifts as playmakers, right? And we've seen a lot of growth out of Jalen Hurts during his time in the league, and specifically this year as he you know, becomes the engine of a team that's 12-1 and one, and, by the way, just blew the doors off the Giants on Sunday afternoon in a way that, that gives them momentum coming into Soldier Field. And so what you see are guys that can kill opposing defenses with their legs and, and frustrate opposing defenses with their legs and make opposing defenses spend a lot of time during the week figuring out how they're going to adjust their normal defense to account for your gifts as a runner and then can pick them apart as a passer as well. And so Justin's got to continue to make that climb that Jalen's made in taking care of the ball, right? I think Jalen Hurts has got 22 touchdowns and three interceptions this season as a passer. Justin's got the highest interception rate in the league. So we've got to learn from those mistakes, not make them repeat mistakes and, 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 you know, believe that, that he can take care of the football as a passer better than he has to this point in his career. I think there's, there's an unbelievable and undeniable amount of potential for who Justin Fields is as a playmaking quarterback. And now it's up to everyone in that building to unlock it. And part of it, as you mentioned, the success that Jalen Hurts has had is now getting him receivers like Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, who, who, can, who can be those guys that you go to in big moments and you trust them to make plays as opposed to running a curl route and not coming back to it quickly. And then it becomes a, a basically a lost ceiling interception like happened with Equinemius St. Brown at the end of the, the Packers game. Uh, they got to get him help. At the same time, Justin's got to be, if he's going to be the guy that Chicago dreams he's going to be, he's got to be a guy that elevates the plays of guys around him, right? You go through Aaron Rodgers' receiving core through the years, and you see what some of those guys did when they went elsewhere, and you go, oh, so maybe it was Aaron Rodgers that helped elevate them to a level. And then that's up to, to uh, guys around Justin to take their game up if he gives them the opportunity to do so. That'll be interesting to see as the years go on and they change sort of the dynamics of those rooms. At today's press conference, today being Monday, December 12th, this interview was pre-recorded. Um, Matt Eberflus was asked about Chase Claypool. Is he there yet in terms of knowledge of the playbook and so forth? And he said he's not, which was a nice, candid uh, response. What do you think it's going to – do you think a, a complete offseason is when we should then expect Claypool to be ready to – play to the expectations that I assume Ryan Poles has for him. Yeah, I, I think he'll wind, if he stays healthy, I think he'll wind up with nine games in a Bears uniform this season. And that's uh, just 
simply not enough for a guy who didn't have OTAs and, and mini camp and training camp to acclimate himself with the offense, to understand the playbook, to work on that timing and rapport with his quarterback. All of this uh, for these nine games are, are steps in that direction. And you hope sooner rather than later, he becomes a guy that, that can step into, if not a, a number one role, at least a one a or, 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 or a two a right. And, and, and you've got a guy that can be an every week difference maker, because as you mentioned, they traded away a second round pick, which with every loss gets higher on the draft board. And as we sit here today, it's the 34th overall pick in April's draft that they gave away to get Chase Claypool's services. You better get a return on that investment. If you don't, now you're going down that path that we talked about of, of making a mistake and then needing to use other resources to correct that mistake. And that's just the cycle that the Bears have been in for far too long of, of missing on high profile draft picks and, and trades and, and free agent signings that constantly have them in correction mode rather than in building mode. And so uh, it's up to, to, to the coaching staff and Chase Claypool to come together in a way that produces results. Again, probably not measurable until, you know, a month into the 2023 season. My last question before we get you out of here and, not, and I ask you uh, what you're working on and what you, uh, where you want people to follow you and so forth is, you know, I, I've, I would have liked it if Ryan Poles would have been straight up with fans and said, yeah, this is a rebuilding year. We all know. And uh, he clearly didn't want to because he, uh, the players would have had a really bitter taste in their mouths. I don't want to be part of a rebuild. You know, uh, Robert Quinn said that before he was traded, uh, so to speak. I don't, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing uh, his thoughts on that. But um, do you think that um, – oh, shit, I lost my, my question here. Um, I, I wish that – polls would have been straight up about this being a rebuilding year, but it, 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 it would have been a turnoff to the players and to the organization and to the fans if that would have happened. But do you think it would have helped uh, everyone in the media and fans if he would have been straight up about it? I think most media and fans understood what this was. And I think Ryan's actions spoke louder than any words ever could. I don't need him to get out a big red rebuild stamp and, and, and put it on the front door of Hallis Hall for me to understand that they, I mean, you looked at the roster that they assembled for training camp. You looked at the roster that was the 53 man going into week one. And you said, you know, 40 of these guys weren't even here last year. If you can't interpret that and decipher that for what it is, I can't help you. Right. We, we knew what this was. I think, I think they wound up with like six or seven guys on their week one roster that weren't even with the team when training camp began because of the waiver claims and all the things that went on in the month of August and early September. And so we knew this was a teardown. We knew what the results were going to be. We knew they were going to be a team that was going to be toward the bottom five or six in the NFL. And that's what they are. Now you just need to, to figure out a way again, to, to start the rebuild quickly. You can't have an entire draft class be a, Oh, well, those guys didn't work out. We'll get it right next year. You can't have a entire free agency class, particularly in playmaking positions, be like, ah, none of those guys worked out. No big deal. We'll fix it next year. Because the more you have to fix, the more time it takes to fix. And the more time it, it gives your, your, your competition to distance themselves from you. I mean, you look at the Detroit lions right now who are going, to have a top uh, five pick based on their trade with the Rams. And you could make the argument that if they get their franchise quarterback, they're in a better situation than the Bears are. Right. And that's not a place that Chicago fans want to be in is, is being like, oh, my God, the Lions are suddenly in better, a better position than we are. And so, look, other teams have the resources to get better. Also, other teams have the ability to to turn their 
weaknesses into strengths. And so you better understand what this is. I always challenge the McCaskey family and the ownership group at the Bears to understand this is a cutthroat league in, in you know a multi-billion dollar industry and you just can't shrug past mediocrity and go oh well we'll do our best next time like that's not how it works and you will never sustain success if you're willing to just shrug past mediocrity you have to be at your sharpest every single day for years to even dream about playing for that Lombardi trophy the bears are tanking right and what i mean by that is they're not going out there with the you know we're going to call plays that to, to make sure we get, to get our quarterback sacked or we don't want to win but they are tanking in the sense of that they have not provided uh all of the resources they could have because they want to collect more resources for the 2023 season is that is that a fair way to look at it i i, I mean i it is a, it is a way to look at it i don't know because i don't know what tanking in the nfl is and and what it means because it's just there's just not a lot of evidence of teams that 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 just tank and then collect draft picks and all of a sudden they become championship teams you can go look at the teams that have owned those top three picks in the draft for the last 15 to 20 years and say okay so which one of them's you, you know suddenly got that momentum and that springboard by by being terrible right the lions and the jets picked low in the draft forever and and struggled forever the browns in in that category as well so there's a lot to this and and, and i don't think you ever sort of go into a season saying i mean you you can go into a season and say hey we're not chasing a championship here and we're not going to make every decision based on ch chasing a championship in 2022 and still not tank right and try to be the worst team in the league because look, I, I looked this up the other day that last year, 56 players were selected as either a first team or second team, all pro only four of them were top five picks and only two others were top 10 picks. So it's not like you can't find stars elsewhere in the draft outside of the top five. I get it. If you have a higher pick, you can potentially trade it for a quarterback needy team. That's going to give you a whole bunch of resources that you're going to have to use, but eventually you have to have people in positions of power in your front office and coaching staff that make the right decisions that get you guys that become difference makers for you. When the bears have four consecutive, you know, top 10 picks and it's Kevin white and Leonard Floyd and Mitch Trubisky and Roquan Smith, and not a single one of them gets a second contract here. What did you accomplish? nothing right and so you still no matter how high you pick on the draft board you have to have people that pick the right guys and then the coaches that develop them into stars otherwise you're just stuck in the mud spinning your wheels and i would argue that for my 10 seasons on the beat the bears have been stuck in the mud spinning their wheels and i have no evidence to say that they're not doing it right now that's the next big chapter in the chicago bears uh book that uh it will be written in the offseason ryan poses player acquisitions uh, free agency and the draft. Hopefully, hits a lot of home runs for us. Uh, Dan, what are you working on, and where can people follow you? You, you do all these uh, uh, radio hits uh, over at the score. Are those set times, or is that based on availability and things like you work work out with the producers? I'm typically on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the score. Monday. Uh, with Bernstein and Holmes, Wednesday with Mully and Haw, and Friday with Parkinson Spiegel. Uh, David Haw and I started the Take the North podcast this year through 2400 Sports and Odyssey, and that has three episodes per week in season, one after the game, one Tuesday morning, one Friday morning. So if you need to hear me say things, you got plenty of opportunities to hear me 
me say things. And if you want to just yell and, and, and be mad at me, I'm cool with that too. Consume it all. And like I say, I'm always willing to address specific, uh, specific instances of, of, of things that, that you take exception with. And, I, and I'll respond to them and tell you why I was thinking the way I was thinking. Obviously, you can follow my work at chicagotribune.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Dan Weederer. And I really believe that this 2023 offseason calendar is going to be really, really fun and intriguing and probably entertaining for all of us to follow because there's not only going to be the draft and free agency signing, but we're going to be talking about the stadium that the Bears are trying mm-hmm. to pursue in Arlington Heights. We're going to be talking about the replacement for Ted Phillips as the team president. So there's a lot going on with this team that's going to shape the future for who they are and who they can become. That's going to be really, really fun for me to follow, and hopefully I'll do it to the best of my ability. We'll be following you, Dan Weeder. Thank you very much for taking so much time to talk to us, and uh, we'll be reading your stuff and uh, listening to your shows on the radio and podcasts. Uh, again, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the discussion. You, you bet. All right, then. Good think? interview, sir. Thank you, sir. I wish you would have been there. It would have been even better. Um, I felt like there were a couple of instances where I could have challenged them on certain things. But I, I, I really wanted, because I kind of side with his uh, view on things about, it's not that he's being negative. It's just that he's reporting on things that are not good. You know, if he sees something that's good, He'll report positive stuff. If you're seeing things that are negative, you'll report on negative things. That's his job. It's pretty much that simple. Um, but perhaps I could have challenged him a, a, a bit on some of the things. And I know that, uh, like, for instance, Nomad is not a fan of <laughs> of, uh, of Mr. Dan Weeder. And I don't think this interview changed anything at all. He, in fact, Nomad wrote, I got the strong inclination that Weeder is going to email Ryan Bose's mock draft, <laughs> which is hilarious, no matter. <laughs> but what'd you think about the second part of uh, the Dan Weeder interview? I got to be honest. I- I'm glad I wasn't a part of it. I thought you did a fine job without me. And where I, I feel like maybe this means I'm a, a bitch pussy here. I-, I don't know. I feel like because I have been skeptical of, of his, uh, Hits or mm-hmm. critical, mm-hmm. critical. I just don't want to. I, I don't want to be adversarial. That's the word of the night. I guess we've both used it a few times. I don't. It would be hard. It would be disingenuous of me to come in and just be all buddy buddy with the guy that I've said who I think is too negative and all of this. But I don't want to do that type of, type of interview where I'm, you know, just going back and forth and talking shit. That's not who I am. But I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I, I'm duplicitous and just a, a, a liar either, you know. So I'm glad I wasn't a part of it, honestly. No, and I, I see. I can. I think that. Well, I, uh-oh. Fuck me. That means somebody's trying to steal something here now, too. I think. Okay, I'll see you in a few minutes. No, just let me go turn it off. It's uh, it's just a station that's off air. Hang on. Okay. Dan Aguirre uh, does, uh, does this show from a uh, his workplace. And so um, something uh, went wrong, and so that's why the alarm went off. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's a great sound effect. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> I do – man, we got what? Uh, less than 30 minutes with Dan Aguirre here. And there's so much more that I collected that I'd love to share with you guys. And you guys have been providing 
you guys being the, at the people in the chat room, uh, I've been providing so many great comments that I, I could spend another two hours uh, just interacting with you guys in this medium. Uh, I, I believe Mr. Aguirre is back. Settle in, brother. Uh, yeah, that fucking Pink Floyd wish you were here always sets the alarm off. <laughs> it makes it think that the station's off air because it's just so low at the beginning. <laughs> I That's my fucking favorite album of all time. Pink Floyd's The Other Side of the Moon. Pink Floyd didn't... I, I, there's a couple of bands like that. like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Tool... I'm not sure if you listen to Tool because they're more of a, a 90s band, but they're bands that on their face seem like someone I would love. Mm -hmm. And people always say, how do you not know this or whatever? It's like, I don't dislike them. Mm -hmm. You're never going to hear me say, boy, Led Zeppelin. What the fuck? I don't get it. Or the Beatles are another one, but I just think they're okay. And there's like, nothing stands out as good, but it's not like I hate it. That's no. my view on Pink Floyd, Tool, the Beatles, and Led Zeppelin. Uh, Saint Ami loves the tool. Uh, I frankly have never heard of them, so I'm going to do, uh, put that on my little bucket list here. Tool. Yeah, the guy's name's Maynard, and he does a band called A Perfect Circle mm -hmm. and a band called Tool. Tool was noted in the 90s of having claymation videos in the early 90s on MTV. Uh, had a, a strong run where they did those videos probably to about 2001 or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like Ministry. I saw them with Nine Inch Nails over the summer. Oh, that's, that's right. You did. I, I yeah, really that was good shit. Yeah. Um, all right. So we were talking about you. You were in the middle of a thought. I was saying that I, I was glad I wasn't a part of the interview. A, you did a phenomenal job, not just you know playing with your balls. When I, I mean, you you did. It was a good interview. Uh, <laughs> and I just feel like I don't want to 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 talk to somebody. I don't want to be a dick, but I don't want to seem like I'm their best friend either. So it's hard for me to pretend I didn't say X whenever I have to face them. It's not like I don't want to fate, like I'm afraid to own up to my words. That's not the thing, but I, what's the point? I don't want to come in for a half hour and just, you know, tell Weeder, this is what I think about you. This is what I've said, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, and I, I, I've been guilty. I've said this probably two or three times on this show. You know, I, I hate it when people are negative about my Chicago bears and I feel like I'm the only one <laughs> that can be negative about them. And, and I told Dan, Dan Weeder and I talked about for another five minutes after the interview was done. And I talked a little bit about you and I, and I said that, you know, that you and I were alike in that way that we feel like and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but we feel like we're the only ones that can be critical of this team because we love them and we know what's best. And so we we can only be critical, but you should not. You should still have faith. Don't you feel that way or am I wrong? Well, not exactly. I don't think that I'm some you know person that's qualified to tell you who the you know who should be drafting and who we're coach who's coaching and all these things. Uh I just don't like it when someone like Weeder, and I think this is a point that Nomad, I don't want to put words in Nomad's mouth, or in this case, the words he typed, but it seems like I read a comment. He was, the gist of what I'm trying to say is, I think Nomad was trying to say it too, is um, someone like Weeder is going to tell you, you know, they know what's going to happen Sunday, and they sell it as fact that there's no way the Bears are going to beat Green Bay. Uh, and, and I'll point all season long uh, in the off season, uh, you know, I even guaranteed a victory over San Francisco. No, everyone was going to tell you that the bears could not beat San Francisco. And we did, 
And that's what I don't like the certitude that comes with Weeder at times where it's like, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Like, how do you fucking know? I mean, maybe you're playing the odds and you're, what you're projecting is probably going to happen against Philly, for example. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So maybe Philadelphia rolls us. I mean, again, most people are going to have that as their expectation, but don't tell me that it, that it's, that it's over. Like the bears can't win Sunday. Cause that's what football is. Football is always an upset. Mm-hmm. There's always upsets. I mean, Buffalo almost lost to the jets on Sunday, but uh, the, the Texans almost beat Dallas. I mean, it, it happens. It didn't happen, but it be, it happens. The Bears beat San Francisco. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Yeah, again, the, the what made the Super Bowl the Super Bowl, as we talked about a few months ago, was Joe Namath beat the Colts when he's 18-point underdogs. And you, it, I meant to say this back then. We don't want to waste all this time on Super Bowl three right now. But uh, you're critical of his uh, passing numbers that day. When they got a lead... That was one of the things that the Jets uh, talked about with Namus maturity. Earlier on, he wanted to keep throwing the ball in his like second, third year, regardless of where they were in the game. Mm-hmm. So by that point, in his like fourth or fifth season, he's like, fuck, we got a 10-point lead. They can't score. Let's just run the ball. So he didn't give a shit if he threw for 300 yards. I mean, he was like, fuck it. Let's just win this game. So that again, I'm just defending Namath here because Namath's ahead of his time. He's way ahead of his time. You love that guy. By the way, did you see the Mad Men episode when they were considering Joe Namath for an ad and Don Draper says, he's a guy from Alabama. Nobody knows who, who he is. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten that. But yeah, I watched every episode of Mad Men. Uh, I think it was last year. So good. Yeah, it was yeah great year. show. That was your recommendation to me. So. <laughs> Um, it, it, you you have to have a little patience with it because it's not an action show. It's all about thought and and inner office politics and. Uh, That's great. That's great. Yeah. I like I like yeah. the dated that era of stuff too. The sixties and seventies. Yeah. Imagine if HBO because it was pitched to HBO first. Imagine if HBO would have said yes, they would have had millions more to help the production value to really take you into that 60s era with the cars and the fashions and the locations and stuff. And it's too bad, you know, AMC, uh, right. We had some more nudity on HBO. Exactly. We've seen John Hamm slamming some girls, man. His second wife on the show was fucking unbelievable. Uh, Both of them were. What are you talking about? I think the second one's a hundred to one over the first one. The brunette. Oh my God. Like just yeah, I'm a brunette guy myself. But uh, what's her name? I, I I apologize to the actress who played uh, the first uh, uh, Draper wife, Mrs. Draper, Betty Draper. Uh, she was in an X Men movie, a couple uh, a couple of X Men movies. But she's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, woman. We got uh, it's ten twelve here in Chicago. January okay. Jones, Saint Omni, always to the rescue. You are such a fabulous. Uh, let, let me give you a segue. Since we were talking uh, HBO, HBO has announced they are canceling Westworld. Really? So it's over. It's over. Like they set it up to where it was going to be a season five mm. with Evan Rachel Wood at the end of it, but it's not going to come into fruition unless someone else picks it up. Now HBO's canned it. Not only have they canned it, they took it off of HBO Max because they don't want to pay. According to an article I read, they, there's like four or five shows they've taken down. Because they don't want to pay the actors residuals 
for the streaming. Well, HBO is under new management for the last 18 months or so, I want to guess. And uh, they are very, very conscious of the bottom line. I would not be surprised at all if shows like the John Oliver uh, a comedy show and some of their other original programming shows will go away. So. I think they'll keep Oliver because he wins an Emmy every year. But I wouldn't be surprised if after Bill Maher's deals up that they say, well, you know, you're almost 70 now anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you will notice uh, this about the John Oliver show. Again, this is a political satire show, Sunday nights, 10 30, 11 o'clock uh, on uh, HBO. Is that they're not spending an, uh, as much money as they used to. They used to have celebrities come on to do, you know, two, three minute uh, videos or the closing or be there live or what. Or they used to, the one season, they ended the season by, by blowing up this. Oh, uh, yeah, the 2020 thing. Yeah, that was fucking phenomenal, man. Yeah, I, I watched that when he was like, I'm tired of being in the house and the, we're yes. fucked the pandemic. Right. Yeah. That must have cost a million bucks right there. Uh, and right now, when you watch John Oliver, it's basically, good night, everybody. That's it. There's no special guests. There's no movies being produced. Very rarely. I'm, I'm not saying every episode is that way, but... Uh, um, it, it's a great show, uh, and I hate to see what's happening with all the cost-cutting that's going on at HBO. CNN right now, uh, the headline news show I was watching the other day, Robin Mead, sign off. I, I've always followed Robin Mead because she was a Chicago reporter. Well, you know what's up with that. I'm going to make Republicans mad here. But I think his name is Chris Licht. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I they, know where you're going. Yes. Yeah, they brought him in to run CNN because they he's a Fox guy. Yes. And like they want to be, and I'm not just making this up. This is like their new thing. They want to be Fox News light. And they've gotten rid of everyone on the network that was that leaned to the left at all. Right. Now a lot of Republicans will say, bullshit, ah, ah CNN, you know, whatever. But the, the reality <laughs> is CNN is trying to is going to the right. You're absolutely right with that. They're making a slow change to the right. And Chris Leck, I didn't know that he worked at Fox, but I did read a quote where he said, we need to be more objective in our news reporting like Fox News. And when I read that, I right. said, okay, no, this is true. This is 100%. No, no, no. I'm just saying like they, like Tucker is yeah. fucking objective. Oh my God. And don't sell me that, oh, he's an opinion piece. Because they sell that as news and people watch that shit and buy into it. But let's not let's not waste the rest of our show on that. Because yeah. the people that like Tucker are gonna keep liking Tucker and there's nothing we can do about it, and that's fine. That's I don't want to change their mind. It's a free country. As exactly. Long as, exactly. As long as you follow follow the laws and the constitution and don't try to fucking stop the certification of an election that's been proven to be correct, as long as you don't do Did that. Did you hear what Marjorie Taylor Greene said? Oh my God! I mean, she she was in front of a group of people. Oh yes, I did hear this. Yes, and said that if they had more guns, they would have been successful. That's right. And that if she and Steve Bannon were running it, they would have been successful on January sixth. So again, just cheerleading the violent overthrow of the government. But okay, let's let's move on to movies. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you. That was really really bad. All right. So uh, Dan and I saw this movie. You know, and I Dan actually texted me i'm watching sick and it's really fucking good and i had like two hours free and i said okay that's perfect i'll watch it we could talk about it on sunday i'm gonna play for you the trailer and i want to make sure i got the right one here oh here it is 
I'm going to play for you the trailer, and, and then we'll talk about it afterwards because this really is a phenomenal movie. Oh, I got to hit the play button. <laughs> My name is Dr. Rose Carter. What do you want from me? Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead in your life? I've seen it too. You? You have it? Smiling at me. Carl? Put on a friendly smile. The worst smile I've ever seen. I am not going to keep running. I have to face it. Only in theater and special previews Thursday at 7 p.m. Get tickets uh, now. All right, go away. Um, uh, all right, bro, I'm about to go to the store. I'll be right back. Uh, sorry. Sure. <laughs> what the fuck was that? that was the next video that was lined up. It <laughs> was like, is no man on with us now? <laughs> Travis says that he saw it in the theaters and he was disappointed. I can't believe that. This is a great movie, right? Yeah, I dug it, man. Like I said, that was... Uh, with a friend and she wanted to see that, that guy from the, the, uh, the big bang theory, what's Jim Parsons or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's in some, he's in a drama. Mm -hmm. And so I've got three theaters that I can kind of go to that are local. So I was looking them up and for some reason I, I, I fucked up the movie. I thought that I did. I didn't know what smile was about at all. Right. I, I thought that that was the, the Jim Parsons movie. So I said, Hey, uh, the, this movie's still, it's playing at the theater. The one you wanted to see. She's like, Oh, that's not what I want to see. That's, that's a horror movie. Uh, and she's like, it looks good. Mm -hmm. So I looked and I was like, direct TV has it on its pay-per-view. So I was like, fuck it. Okay. I'll order it. And we watched it. And I was like, damn, this is good. So that's why I sent you a text. I was like, this movie smiles. Awesome. Like I had no idea. I hadn't seen a trailer for it. The, and, uh, I didn't know that that was Kevin Bacon's daughter until you told me. Yeah, she's gorgeous, I think, and she was perfect for the role. She has this face, uh, and you correctly noted that the makeup, as the movie goes on, you know, really shows the mental anguish. Now, that she looks way more disheveled as the, the movie progresses. Right. And, and they make her look more, like, almost sickly and more unstable, and, and you legitimately can feel like her... I don't want to say going crazy because that's too much of a stretch, mm -hmm. but you can feel her anxiety with her appearance. Right. For sure. Like it, it, it's startling in comparison to how she's in control in the beginning as a doctor. Yeah. To where it, where it, it, it uh, falls in down to at the end. Yes. I mean, I, I, I Travis again, expressing that he, he thought the trailer was really good, but the movie was a letdown in his opinion. He says he saw it in the movie theater. And it's so much like other horror films. I do agree that the plot line is a bit derivative. We're not seeing anything new. The only new thing, uh, and I told Dan about this, is the sound design. The guy who did the, the soundtrack was, was asked, please come up with something innovative. And he started 
utilizing like household uh, uh, pots and pans and stuff from his garage just to come up with weird sounds. And, and he embellished those in post-production. And the soundtrack, just from the very beginning, I said, whoa, man, because I, yeah, I love movie good. music. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The score is so good. I was agreeing with you. Yeah. Like when it just says the title when it says smile, the, the, the noise behind it, I thought was good. Yeah. That's what made Halloween so good. The first one, because there's only like three people that die in the first Halloween movie. That's right. But it's that fucking score right. and the suspense that made that movie legendary. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the one from 78. I don't mean any of the sequels. Mm hmm. It, it, I just feel like from a uh, directing standpoint, from a music standpoint, and from the performances, the, the, the woman who is on the uh, movie posters with the smile, she's the first victim of this transparent supernatural figure that is inhabiting the bodies of people. She, uh, she her... 20 minutes on the screen are phenomenal too. The acting is just really great, but I agree with Travis. If you're looking for something, you know, a different type of story an innovative story, you're not going to find it with, uh, with smile. You're probably not going to find it with any movies right now. I think Hollywood is in a little bit of a now, I've got one for you. And I've, I've told you about it and I gave you a copy and I still challenge you to watch men. <laughs> I, I promise you. I will. I'm telling you men was very, very original. Could, could, could you, uh, would it be too much to ask to get you to play the trailer? Oh, no, not at all. Let me, uh, let me, I would love for you just to see the trailer. Okay. Um, you know, what's funny, Dan is because I'm looking around for something to watch. Cause I did have all this t time, uh, this weekend. And so I said, Oh, I should watch, uh, uh, I should watch the men and, I couldn't fucking find the disc. I know it's somewhere in the house. It's not like I. I, I, I think it. you took it down in the basement, or where you are now. I thought. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's I know where it is, it, I, and not that I know exactly where it is, but I know it's in the house somewhere, and so I will definitely find it and uh, and and watch it. Yes, just see the, if you like the trailer. The, again, the, the trailer doesn't give you a lot in terms of the shock value stuff that you're going to see in it, but it gives you enough in in terms of the story. This is uh, the shorter trailer, so we'll see if it includes some of that stuff you're talking about. Here it comes. What are you doing here?
well, that didn't do a good job at all. But the the guy that was ch- chasing her in that like tunnel was a naked man. Imagine you're fucking just some random dick guy. She starts to like take a picture of like you know she's in a place in England that she's never been, and her guy committed suicide because she was going to leave him. And so she tries to like uproot uproot her life and go somewhere else and get a fresh start. And so she's taking pictures of the scenery and then she zooms in. It's this, this guy's fucking cock oh. this man is chasing her around. And like, it's just like everything she does, there's a fucking priest. She goes to a priest for help and the priest wants to fuck her. I mean, it's like every man in this movie is awful. And the cool thing is it turns out there's one guy that plays like five of the men and looks different in the parts to where I didn't know it was the same guy playing them until later. Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you that it sounds like a movie that is anti-men. The the, the word for uh, uh, hates all women is misogynistic. What's the word for hating all men? I don't know. I I, I used to to be with somebody like that recently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Yeah, but no, it's it. Um, the movie, <laughs> the movie's worth. Like I told you, it's just got all these weird things, like. I love the cinematography in that little clip. I thought that. Oh was man, cool. yeah, it's it's very artsy. It's very artsy, but you got yeah. guys like suddenly growing vaginas and giving birth and all kinds of shit. It's <laughs> it's not a movie for the kids. No, they should be. But it's and it's not like Human Centipede or a Serbian film where it's just yeah. like you have to really really want something out there. It's not like that. It's way more tame than that. But it's a lot farther than the average person normally would like to go. I think. And what's and what's comfortable? I, I very good cinematography, very good score, very good acting. I think you would like it. I really do. Do I think your wife would like it? No, I know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I begged her to watch Smile with me. I saw it and I said, you know, I, I want to see it again. Will you please watch it with me? No, no fucking way will I watch that movie. She didn't use the F word. No way will I watch that. And I'm like, please, I think you really like it. It's very, really artistically done. You know, there's a little, a, a couple of shock sh- uh, scares, but it's, it's really not that bad. No, I told you no. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I laid off after that. that that's what I felt about that water. That, uh, but that's a different story. But <laughs> that's an inside story for. Hey, you know something else I watched uh, that you recommended. Uh-huh. I watched the the documentary about the kid that played Jesse in a nightmare on Elm street too. Oh, did you see that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, a scream Queens, uh, nightmare on Elm street too. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had forgotten. I had, it, I had con- construed in my head that it was the director mm-hmm. that openly admitted that he was writing it that way on like the bonus features of the DVD that I'd watched a hundred years before, but obviously it was that screenwriter, uh, the guy that wrote the screen and not the director per se. Uh, but, Seeing it, I saw that when it was like new. I remember when it was on HBO. It was the first time I saw it in like 86, 87. Right. Like as a kid, I didn't understand sexuality to that point. So I always associate it with the way I watched it then. But even furthermore, uh hold on, hold on, hold on a second before you go on, because I want to make sure the uh, listeners and viewers have context here. Screen Queens is a is a documentary about the lead actor on Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And Patton, I think was his name. Yes. And he claims that that movie ruined his career because it was, it had gay subtext and he did, he was not aware of that. 
adding to that was the fact that he really was gay. And so that really hurt him, you know, in going to casting directors to get caught up for the new movie. And so that's the, the major dilemma here. And by the way, I, I just have to say, if you didn't fucking realize this movie had gay subtext on it when you read the script, because all that shit was on there, then I don't know what the fuck was wrong with you, especially if you're gay. I mean, there's a scene where a uh, high school uh, sports coach is terrorizing this guy and he gets revenge on him by tying him up in the shower with his naked body, only wearing like leather straps or something like that <laughs> with his ass out. And just It's fucking so obviously gay. I remember watching it in the movie theaters and thinking, hey, is, is this gay to you people, the people that I was with? Did, so when you saw it, because As a kid, I, I didn't get it that way. You know, they mentioned, you know, he says, he says the Q word, which I, I don't feel comfortable saying, but let's just say, remember, there's a Showtime show called Queer as, as Folk. Remember that show on Showtime? Yes. Okay. That's what I'm ref that first word there. Cause I don't want to say it offensively. And, uh, but earlier in the film, his friend says, yeah. Snyder go, Schneider goes to those Q word S and M joints mm -hmm. and that he's a freak or whatever. So that to me was the only reference I really heard. There's a couple things I thought were taken out of context. Like for example, it's uh, there's, they play clips of Jesse reading, uh, you know, all this homo, they say it's homoerotic stuff, yes. but the context in the film is he found Nancy's diary from part one. Right. And she's supposedly lusting after Johnny Depp's character, who was her boyfriend. So he's reading it from Nancy's perspective, talking about her boyfriend. So, but the way they presented it in the documentary, he was supposed to be lusting after a guy there or, or something. And he had a girlfriend in the movie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I get it that maybe they're trying to say that it's, he's in the closet or what have you, mm -hmm. but the redheaded lady, the Kim Myers, that Kim Myers played, it, she was his girlfriend. Right. So but I, well, there's that there's that one sex scene between the two of them and just Freddie's tongue comes out. Yeah, Freddie's tongue comes out exactly. And, yeah, and he's about to go down on her and suddenly you got this man's uh, excessively grotesque tongue come out. <laughs> Anyone would run away from that. If his tongue doesn't come out, I say Jesse eats her pussy. <laughs> At the very least Jesse's just by is my point. That is that is what I got out of it too. But you're right. I mean, his, his fucking ten foot tongue comes out of his mouth, and, and I'm sure she was very disappointed. I I liked part two. A lot of people didn't. Uh, I, I, I like it. I think, and I hate to say this because I'm glad he seemed to get his catharsis at the end of it mm -hmm. by talking to the screenwriter, and it seemed like that's what he needed to to do. And I like the guy, and. It, it's tough, you know, that he's had all this animosity and stuff. I get it. But the truth is, I don't think, in my opinion, that the movie so much ruined his career is just the context of when he was growing up gay. Yeah. Because like he says, by 87, he's got full-blown AIDS right. from his boyfriend. Right. It's the hate that America had for gay people under the context of, of AIDS because at the time it's presented, it's only a gay virus, you know, and, and they're like touching kids and, and shit. That's not true, but they're so vilified because of the lack of understanding of the disease right. from America as a whole or the world as a whole. So it's, it, it's tough to be a gay man in, in those circumstances. It's pretty tough to any time, but it's definitely tough in 1980 fucking six. Yeah. So 
I do, think, do you think that we should have retro on so that he could discuss being gay in the eighties. Oh God, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I don't know if nightmare on Elm street Two ruined his career as much as sort of being outed as gay at the time, which is so unfortunate. I'm not advocating. I think that that is what ruined his career. I, I think he sort of conflated those two issues, but you know, who am I? I'm not walking in his shoes though, you know? Right. I, but I agree with you that, I mean, I walked away from the documentary, first of all, saying this is fascinating. It's interesting storytelling. It's an interesting look back at, um, at, at this, uh, what happened during the filming of nightmare on Elm street two and what uh, transpired afterwards. But I don't quite agree with the this character. What's his name again? Will Patton? No, I think it was Mark Patton. Yeah, Mark Patton. I don't quite. Uh, I, I I think that he was a bit of a bullshitter with some of the issues, or maybe he wasn't a bullshitter, but he was misinterpreting things that were going on around him. Like I said earlier, for you to re, uh, uh, read the script and then act in some of those scenes, and then afterwards think yeah well, that was a little gay you know <laughs> i think i think he he he's blaming the fact that he really did not have leading man good looks he really was not that great of an actor yeah, and, they, and they kept saying that he did early in the the thing they kept well did you see those pictures of him when he was a teenager i mean if the guy was in jail he would have been sugar <laughs> <laughs> for, for those well, like, you know when he was working with Cher on on like in New York somewhere on Broadway that that Jimmy Dean play he, yeah they were saying oh he had the 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 good looks that's what got him the I was like I mean I'm not saying that I've got good looks but neither does this guy you know like uh, I'm, yeah I'm telling you you know uh, by the time he did Nightmare on Elm Street he looked like a guy who was not getting any sleep at all or any pussy at all. <laughs> and so um, I, I, don't, I don't see him as a movie star. I just don't. And so I think that's probably what happened. But maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, hey, uh, he, he lived his life, not me. I, I just don't feel like I feel like he is misapplying blame here. Unfortunately, I have to go to work. That's oh. that's really unfortunate. But I wanted to say one more thing. I may have told you this on air before. But it, it goes to this conversation. Um, speaking of someone that did have the good looks, being Depp in the first film. That's right. Initially, Wes Craven uh, cast Nicolas Cage to play Glenn. Oh, I didn't know that. And Nicolas Cage had a conflict. I, I don't remember what other movie he was doing. Oh. But he had to bow out. So he, he goes to Wes and he says, hey, I've got this friend. He's not really an actor. He's not polished. He's a musician. But his band's not going anywhere. But I think he's got exactly what you're looking for wow. in the role of Glenn. He's like, it's he's one of my best friends. I can vouch for him. Can you just give him a look just for me as a, as a favor? So Wes is like, yeah, of course. And walks Johnny Depp. And he's like, oh, that's Glenn. Now, that's a guy based on his looks. Yes. Not the, not the guy in part two. Right. Absolutely. And obviously, right. Depp turned out to be a good actor. A good actor but, and, and has that it presence. Yeah, but at the time he was trying to be a musician and wasn't he didn't even have a goal mm. of being an actor. So it was all Nicolas Cage who kind of made him there because he had to bow out of the first Elm Street. Now St. Omni says Nicolas Cage was doing National Treasure too. I don't think so. That was many years after 1984 is when they were filming the first night name or Elm Street. That, 
Exactly. I told you, Dan, and I'm going to download this uh, uh, video. I have it on beta video, and I need to download it on digital. But when they were promoting Nightmare on Elm Street, the video release, uh, Robert England came to town. and we, <laughs> told me. We got the <laughs> you insulted him. Yeah, that's right. That was the part of the joke. Uh, we got to film him putting on the makeup and telling the whole story and so forth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna try to do that for next week's show so that we can. That would be it. awesome. Yeah, to, to see that. And uh, another fun fact, a relatively unknown who's in a Nightmare on Elm Street three, mm -hmm. uh, would later marry Nicolas Cage is Patricia Arquette. Oh, I didn't know they were married. She's a great actress. Yeah, and another person who was kind of quote unquote unknown uh was Larry Fishburn, who of course later changed his name to Lawrence Fishburn. La which one was he in? Part three, Dream Warriors. I don't I don't remember that. Not only is he in it, the guy from that filthy fucking movie with Melanie Griffith that Brian De Palma did, Body Double. Yes, I love that movie. And the guy that's in Body Double, the lead who kind of looks like Bill Maher. Yeah, Craig Cr Washburn. He's in Part Three. That I gotta watch Part Three again. Nightmare on Dream Warriors. It, it's the last really good Nightmare on Elm Street movie to me. You got Lawrence Fishburne, aka Larry Fishburne at the time, Patricia Arquette, and the guy from Body Double. Now, how many were there? Six, right? Fuck. <laughs> so you got Part Four, Part Five, then Freddy's Dead. And then they did Freddy versus Jason, which I've never seen. Right. I have not seen and in a remake. The remake to Nightmare on Elm Street 1 from 2010 is awful. Absolutely <laughs> awful. The kid from Bad News Bears that played Kelly is the guy that plays Fred Krueger in the remake. It's yeah. terrible. I, I stopped watching after three or four. And, um, uh, but I, I would love to sit down and do a, Freddy Krueger marathon just because I, I love the genre and the, the character Wes Craven came up with the Freddy Krueger character. It's fucking genius. You know, a boogeyman that comes alive and you, when you're asleep, that's just a clever. I, I got one more and I got to go. You got to go. The, the character that Wes based him on the, the name, his he he said his favorite villain was from last house on the left. If you ever saw it, sure. the main guy in last house on the left, his name was Krug. So he expanded it to Kruger as an homage to Last House on the Left. Wow. When I was a kid, I was under, uh, I mean, I was like 10 or, uh, years old, and the ad campaign for Last House on the Left was keep telling yourself it's only a movie. It's only a movie. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that. Which was so fucking great marketing. And so, of course, as a kid, I had to sneak into the theater and watch this movie. And I, I, I'm, I'm forever scarred by it. <laughs> Way better than this, the remake of that one as well. The, the mm -hmm. 09 remake was extremely disappointing. Yep. And Renewable is absolutely right. Apocalypse Now was Lawrence Fishburne's first flick. And he probably then did the Nightmare either. He was in Death Wish 2. <laughs> Is that with Charles right? Bronson? He's like one of the thug guys that like oh, wow. rape his daughter or something. Yeah, he's in Death Wish too. Yeah, a great fucking actor, Lawrence Fishburne. We, we need to see more of him. his daughter is a porn actress. Oh well, not he's he's he's. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I got to go. I should have left ten minutes ago. I got to go to my other job. I'm sorry. Yeah, I love you, Dan Aguirre. We'll talk to you uh, very soon. Okay, brother. Right, hopefully, no more horror stories with like credit card fraud. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got to go. I'll see you all later. Okay. Bye.
That is Dan Aguirre. He's out to save some lives. Uh, he works a uh, one of his multiple jobs is he works as a 911 operator. And so um, that, of course, is much more important than what we're doing here. I'm going to go on another 10 minutes or so. I want to let everybody who's watching on Facebook, when you're watching live, if you go to StreamYard.com forward slash Facebook, if you just register to that, they're going to ask you some, you know, you know how Facebook is. They want to fucking know everything about your life. They're going to ask you for some information. But if you want to interact with us live during the show so we can see your comments and put your comments up on the screen, just go ahead and register. If you're already a Facebook member, they already know, you know, where you're going, you know, how many shits you're taking a day and all that stuff. Uh, go ahead and register. That way we can flash up your comments and interact with you live on all of our shows, not just this one. Um, I wanted to, um, because, you know, Dan had this issue with credit card, uh, fraud, uh, earlier, we started a half hour late. So I had a few more things that I wanted to share with you. So I'm going to stick around and do that. Number one is Matt Eberflus had his press conference yesterday. And there were a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. Oh, fuck. I wanted to share this with Dan too. This is our Christmas card. <laughs> So that's our Christmas card. We have a new Christmas card every week. And that one was, uh, you know, just expressing our frustration over everything Chicago Bears, with the exception of one thing, Mr. Justin Fields. Uh, and I, by the way, I put up a uh, post on Twitter and it was, are you down with the fact that Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts could be the top two quarterbacks in the NFC over the next decade? And so, of course, a lot of people said yes, about 80, 90 percent people said yes. And there were another five, 10, 15 percent who were like, fuck you. What are you, a bozo? You, you bullshitting. And I'm like, dude, did you read what I wrote? It says it, they could be. I wasn't making a declaration. They could be the best two quarterbacks. And I really believe that I would not have posted that just to fucking get likes or retweets or whatever. That's what I truly believe because Jalen hurts. When he came out of college with Alabama, talk to anyone here in the bar room back who was with us back then. I was praying that the bears would draft him. He had dropped down. Dane Brugler had him uh, in that 65, 66 round. And I, I'm like, if, if he's available in the second round with the bears draft, please fucking draft him. Please draft him because he's a developmental quarterback. And so what's happening in his third year, he's fucking exploding and is having an MVP caliber season. Now I know people are going to say, well, that's because he's got all the weapons and that's because he's got offensive line. Yeah, that's right. That's how it happens. That's how it works all the fucking time. And Justin Fields will play MVP caliber football when he has an offensive line, when he has offensive weapons. He will be uh, playing at the same level level that Jalen Hurts is at now. I truly fucking believe that. And there are other people on Twitter saying, well, he Jalen Hurts has improved anything. He's got to get into the playoffs and win. No fucking shit. No fucking shit. Of course he does. I'm speculating here about who are going to be the best two quarterbacks for the in the NFC over the next 10 years. And I believe that it could 
Again, on the line could, it could be Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts because they have the skill set that is necessary to win in the NFL nowadays. You see all of these teams playing shell coverages. They're fucking playing defense. They're all defensive backs. The back seven guys are all playing 10 yards off the fucking football, off the line of scrimmage. You know what? Who, who gets the advantage on that? Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, all of these quarterbacks that can run. And so people hold this paradigm of, well, you need a drop back quarterback who's going to pass for 300 yards and so forth. Yeah, that's your daddy's offense. That's your daddy's NFL. That's your daddy's way of looking at football. Look at football the way it is now. And Jalen Hurts and quarterbacks like Justin Fields are the guys that are going to take you to Super Bowls. That's my prediction. I'm slamming my fist here because I really believe it, but it's not a fucking uh, a bet on it kind of thing. So there, I got my little rant out. I wish Dan was here to fucking tell me how great I was, <laughs> but that's that. All right. So I want to play a couple of uh, takes for you from Matt Lieberflus's Monday uh, uh, press conferences. I was going to ask Dan, what are some of the, who are some of the players you really, really want to see in these last four games and pl- see them play at a high level? I, I, I didn't prioritize uh, uh, my list, but one of the players is clearly Kyler Gordon because this guy was our very first draft pick in 2022 by Ryan Poles. And so it's important that he plays at a very, very high level. He's he's off concussion protocol. Jaquan Brisker, we know what he can do. This kid you know, was, was contending for uh, rookie uh, NFC defensive rookie of the year. He's not going to get it because of injuries and because there's a couple of other players who are playing a little slightly better, better level, but he's definitely playing at a high level for a rookie. But Kyler Gordon has been erratic. So this was uh, Matt Eberflus talking about Kyler Gordon. Yeah, just, uh, you know, he's done a lot of good things, you know, and he's done, uh, you know, you know, various skill sets that he has and just really just consistency. You know, you know, he's, you know, had games where he's tackled really well and then games where he's had opportunities where he wish he had done better. So. Um, I would just say to uh, to really more consistent over the last four games. And I think I bet you a, a lot of the people in the chat room will agree with me regarding Kyler Gordon. Uh, Mr. Shorty says Kyler Kyler's injury scares me. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Anytime a defense back gets uh, concussions, and and the fact that Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon were out for two weeks, and then you add in the the bye week. It was three weeks that they were away uh, away from football. I remember Sam Shields, the cornerback of the Green Bay Packers. He started suffering repeated concussions. And my uh, Green Bay Packers friend and, and myself, I said, Robert, you know, this guy should fucking retire because, uh, you know, uh, a, a small bodied guy who tackles with his head first is not going to last long. He's, he's not he's going to get repeated concussions. And this is serious stuff because it affects your cognitive abilities as you get older. You don't want to see that with any human being, even a Green Bay Packer. <laughs> so, um, I, I, and it scares me that Kyler and Jaquan Brisker have had concussions that took two to three weeks to get them cleared. So, hopefully, uh, knock on wood, as Nomad, Nomad said, that's not going to be the case uh, with those two guys. But Kyler Gordon is definitely a guy that I want to see. I'm going to be looking at closely over the next four games. Hopefully he plays all four of those games. People in the chat room, let me know who else you want to focus on in these four games, because that's what it's all about now. These four games are not, 
you know, let, let's let's be real. The chances of us beating these better teams, these teams with much more uh, talent, are very minuscule. So if we don't win, we're all going to watch these games and, and hope and pray and wish that they're going to win. But if they don't, then we want to look at individual performances. And in fact, Eberflus talked about that. It, it almost sounded, I wish I would have pulled that sound by. Eberflus sounded like, yeah, you know, that's the main thing that's going to happen over the next four weeks is looking at position groups and individual player performance. Didn't say anything about winning. Uh, but Michael Henneman says Claypool and Leatherwood. You're absolutely right, Michael H. Chase Claypool. You know, Iberflu said today, did I pull that one? Let me see. Uh, no, I did not. Iberflu said today at the very last question in his press conference, he was asked about Chase Claypool. How much does he know about the playbook and has he improved on, on that? And he said, yes, you know, there's still some things with route, uh, the depth of certain routes, because on certain plays, if you run the play at a four yard and then you cut when the play is supposed to be a six yard and you cut, and I ain't, ain't going to cut it. You know, you're making things tougher for Justin Fields, who has been taught over and over again. It's a six-yard pattern, not a four-yard pattern. But if Claypool is running it incorrectly, that's not helping your young quarterback. So Claypool has to get to that point, hopefully this season, so, so that we can have certain amount of confidence so that we don't have to uh, invest a first-round draft pick on a wide receiver and we can more focus – on, on round three or even uh, uh, a day three of the NFL draft in, in finding more wide receiver help for this team. And you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the things that they've done to help uh, Jalen Hurts in year number three of his NFL career is they really solidified the offensive line. I mean, they drafted in the second round depth for the offensive line. They knew the guy that wasn't probably going to start, but they drafted depth and they acquired wide receivers. And so that team is just loaded with the talent that Hurts needs. And uh, um, is that my dog? <laughs> my dog, if he's crying, then I'll have to leave because he probably needs to go outside or he's going to take a shit in the house. Anyway, um, so we need quality players, and so the, the uh, Ryan Post has to deliver offensive line help and uh, a wide receiver help, just like Jalen Hurts got in his third season, and we've seen this dramatic leap. And so Claypool is a big part of that equation because we traded away the second-round draft pick, and now Chase Claypool has to show us some promise that we don't have to invest a lot of resources into acquiring more wide receiver strength in the 2023 offseason. And Leatherwood is another guy. If Leatherwood shows us over the next four weeks that, hey, fuck it, man, I got this right tackle position, then oh, my God, what are we talking about? All we need is a center. Because Tevin Jenkins is our right guard, because Cody White here will probably be retained at left guard for the next season. And we, if you don't believe in Braxton Jones, then I don't know what you're watching. I, I get it. I get it. Braxton Jones has had a number of bad plays. He's given up like eight sacks. He, he's, he's had a rookie season, but the guy shows promise. The guy shows that he can become a left tackle of the future 
a couple of notches even above my guy. Guy, I have been defending a lot, Charles Leno. Charles Leno, by the way, uh, if you look at PFF scores, and you can take him for a grain of salt, but the fact that he's the number one rated or number two rated left tackle says something about him, and the fact that the Washington Commanders have uh, invested him with a big fat contract a year ago says a lot for uh, Charles Leno. And so um, I know I'm pontificating here. Uh, Aldo grades. What, what Aldo? Aldo grades. I don't know what that means. But hey. grades, uh, probably I was referring to PFF. Anyway, th- those guys are incredibly important for us. Foster Cove says Harry and Valish should get time. I totally fucking agree with you. You wasted, not wasted, you invested a seventh-round draft pick and wide receiver uh, uh, Nikhil Harry, and you invested a third-round draft pick in Valus Jones. Those guys need to get playing time so that you can then make an evaluation. First of all, with Harry, should you re-sign him for a second year uh, in the offseason? Or with Valus, should you uh, invest on a high-round uh, wide receiver because Valus Jones isn't the guy you thought you were drafting the 25 year old wide receiver. You you know, this was a Lou Getze pick. Let's, let's be clear about that. If you listen to the press conference that Matt Eberflos had after the draft, he brought up Lou Getze talking about what he could do. You know what uh, Getze said he could do with Valus Jones. So this is his pick. And so he's got to make that work. And so hopefully you know, hey, fuck, even, even if it causes a victory against Detroit Lions, which I, I don't think it would because I think the worst of Valus Jones we have seen, got to get him, get him out there. You got to give him at least three, four, five targets a game, to, even if it's a fucking bubble screen. Let's see him catch the ball and run. And so that is huge, huge, huge. Um, all right. Oh, so Mr. Shorty is asking me to give a grade on uh, these players. I'm not going to do that, Mr. Shorty. <laughs> that's that's too big for me. <laughs> uh, Lucas Patrick. Somebody mentioned Lucas Patrick. Um, we're of course are not going to see him um, in, in the rest of the season, but if he can play center next season for this team, then holy shit. And Greg Gabriel still believes in him because he saw the tape from uh, Patrick uh, playing the, the center position for Green Bay and he thought that he played so well and, and, and it is excusing him for the most part for what's happened to him this season. He got injured in preseason. So, and then when he came back, he had to play the right guard position because there was an injury there. And then he had to play the left guard position. He finally didn't make it onto the center position until his last game with the Bears, and it was his last game with the Bears because he got injured. Holy fuck. So he's had an unfortunate, unlucky season. It appears that he might be a guy that can only play the center position. He's smart. He knows his offense. And so you're going to have to give him a shot. But I'll tell you one thing. If If the Bears get that third overall pick and they're able to trade down and collect a bunch of picks, you might have two, maybe even three second round picks. And so if a center, one of those, this this is a really deep draft for centers too. If one of those good centers is available, I think you gotta take them. You gotta take them. And then you 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 tell Sam Mustafer, hey, you're gonna you're fighting for a spot on the roster. And you tell uh Patrick, hey, you're you too are fighting for a spot 
as a backup guard and backup center, or if you're going to beat this new rookie that we got for the starting position, you better show us some shit. So that's important. Um, Michael uh, Henneman says white hair to center next year. Isn't the bad move. I'm not with you on that. I'm not with you. White hair has to be the left guard. Let's leave him there. Let's let him get better. Now he could be your backup center. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with that. If you've got a qualified backup left guard, you know, so if you wanted to go into the season with a, a rookie center, and if that rookie center ends up being a bust or has a Valus Jones type season, then white hair for center and then a, a qualified left guard would be okay. But I would not make that move right now with white hair. I'm tired of the Chicago Bears moving around offensive linemen here, there, everywhere. It's just not good. Drafts. Oh, bore, uh, bore them to guard, says Michael H. That's something that we should excuse me, that we should definitely take a look at because it doesn't appear that he has the athleticism to play the tackle positions. And so moving him inside could be a remedy for using his talents because I do believe Larry Borum has some talents. It's funny too, I I was reached out and I don't know if I should use his name, but a a friend of mine reached out and says, hey, I got some intelligence uh, on the Bears and the talk is, is that Larry Borum is going to get a look at the inside uh, uh, position f- with the team during these last four games. Maybe it doesn't start this week. Maybe it's further down the line. But they want to take a look at Borum at guard. And I wish that that – I hope that that is true because I think that would be a really good move. Even if it's just against the Vikings game, that final season, let's see. Let's see um, the the uh, the team uh, – uh, have Laborum at, at guard and see if he's a could be a reliable piece in the future, whether as a starter or whether as a swing uh, uh, offensive lineman to play any of those guard positions. That is uh, that is definitely a good idea. All right, so Matt Eberflus was asked about um, these final games. What are you hoping to see? What are you hoping? What are, what's the challenge of playing these these top two teams in the AFC and NFC, uh, respectively? Uh, the Bills and Eagles. This was his response. You know, we look at it as opportunity and, and a great challenge, you know, to be able to see, you know, our guys match up individually, also as units to be able to match up against these guys. We're, we're going to play two of the best defenses in the league, you know, over the next couple of weeks and obviously the two best offenses. So um, both really good quarterbacks, uh, both are really solid and really good on special teams. So it's going to be a big challenge for our football team. I like that approach. It, this is not about necessarily beating these guys. It is about seeing the individual matchups at this point of the season. And I want them to win. I truly, truly do. But at this point in the season, you want to see how these cornerbacks are matching up against these talented wide receivers from the Eagles. You want to see a cornerback uh, 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 go up against Stefan Diggs and shut him down. You want to see uh, Jack Sanborn continue to improve because what happens over time, of course, is that the coordinators see tape on players and they say, okay, here's a way to beat Jack Sanborn or here's a way to beat uh, Jalen Johnson or here's a way to beat whoever. And so, uh, so now is that stage when there's enough tape for coordinators to take a look at these players and say, all right, I got them. 
I got him. This is how we're going to beat Sanborn. This is, this is you know, it, it took a while with Nick Kwiatkowski, but they they uh, coordinators quickly learned the fucking crossing patterns. He can't he can't run with anybody. He can't. He's not a sideline to sideline linebacker. Beat him that way. Uh, Saint Omni has asked me. Alda just said not to move linemen around. Yeah, I truly believe. I'm old school with that saying. I truly believe if you draft a left tackle, let him play left tackle. You know, that's what he played at college. That's what he was good at. That's the quickest road to success. Now, I'm not uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, consider or even move certain guys around. There are certain situations. There are certain players that, that you know, maybe had skills in college that weren't applied properly. Uh, and in the pro game, you can make that change. So that's not a, a, an exclusive uh, opinion that I have on, on moving offensive line men around. But for the most part, I believe you need to fucking – move guys, you know, keep guys at the position that they're most accustomed to because it expedites their progression. It expedites their ability to play at a high level. And so I just don't like that. Nomad, who has played offensive line, says they're about to find out ain't nothing free with these Bears. That's right. There ain't nothing free with these Bears. It's going to cost some money. Uh, it's going to cost some effort. It's going to cost a hell of a lot with this fucking team. Um other news from this week, it looks like Khalil Herbert is going to come back and play the last three games of this season. I don't think he's eligible this upcoming week against the Eagles, but he's, his progress has been going so well that uh, when he is eligible to come off this uh, IR list, he should be ready to go against the Buffalo Bills. And I am loving that because this is another huge question for the Chicago Bears this offseason. David Montgomery, what are you going to do with him? I love the guy. I love the guy. But in business, like I said two hours ago on this show, and sometimes in business, you just can't make a, a, a business decision based on love, based on friendship, based on admiration. And as much as I would love David Montgomery to play the rest of his career with the Chicago Bears, it might be best from a business standpoint to go elsewhere. You can get as good production, maybe even better production from a, a different guy who is going to cost you half the amount. Now, if they re-sign David Mungry uh, for five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine million dollars a season, would I? Whoops, uh, would I be upset? Hell, fucking no! Because I love the guy. Because he's a great competitor. Because he moves the ball. Because on short yardage situation, he can meet with a defender at the line of scrimmage and carry that guy for three, four yards uh, to, to make a negative into a positive. He's, he's all of that, and he's a team leader. So I, I love the guy, but at the same point, from a, from a strategic standpoint, there's a lot of good running backs in this draft. There's a lot of good running backs available in free agency. So David Montgomery, um, can you go? And so the, the question regarding Khalil Herbert is, all right, can we count on Khalil to be the number one guy, meaning he's going to get the majority of the snaps, and so the rookie that we draft or the free agent that we bring in will get the the, the slightly less than half of the the, the uh, carries? That's a big decision. So watching, day, uh, watching Khalil Herbert when he gets back uh, after this injury is going to be really, really important. Not that I have any doubt. Not that I have any doubt. And Nomad says, I want to see more explosion at running back. And that's the big knock against David Montgomery is that he's had very 
few, not to say that he hasn't had any, but he's had few explosive plays. And explosive plays are defined differently from organization to organization. Some people, at the minimum, say it's a 15-yard uh, 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 gain. Uh, but for the most part, what I have seen is it's a 20-yard gain. Can a running back gain 20 yards? Can a wide receiver gain 20 yards? Those are explosive plays. Um, Travis says, <laughs> Travis, I got to I gotta tell you something, man. The more I watch this Bijan Robinson guy, I go, holy cow. You know, if the Bears get into a situation, there are two players, two players in this draft that I know of right now. I'm not a draft expert. I just have started to uh, do my evaluations and research into those uh, and, and to players available and stuff. There's two guys that I would think, yeah, you know, this fucking if you're gonna draft best player available, then and if B. John Robinson and this other guy that I'm talking about are available, you might want to just, you know, fucking scratch needs and and turn the plan around. Because my my feeling is you gotta focus on the defensive line. You've got to win the line of scrimmage. The offensive line isn't as bad as a lot of a lot of us uh believe that it is. So I'm going to put the defensive line as my highest priority. But if B. John Robinson is there, uh, if we trade down, I'm not, I'm not saying we're drafting in two, three, four, or five. But if we trade down for an additional first-round draft pick, an additional second-round draft pick, and maybe a first or second round there in 2024, if B. John Robinson is there, I got to say, holy fuck. Because this guy is Saquon Barkley. And I hear a lot of fans saying, let's go after Saquon. Let's go after Saquon. No. B. John will be a better player than Saquon Barkley. He's a better player. And he's a cheaper player, too. Saquon's going to come in here and want 10 12 15 million dollars. I don't know what he – but it's way overpriced for a guy who constantly is getting injured – I would much rather have B. John Robinson, a guy who I think is a better pass catcher, and a guy who is a fucking leader in the locker room. This guy can elevate the play of the entire team just by his presence in the locker room. So B. John Robinson, you're probably wondering, okay, who the fuck is this other second guy that all those talking about? All right, I got to tell you. Now, you Notre Dame haters are going to hate me for even mentioning this guy's name, but Mike Meyer, Meyer, the tight end, can you fucking imagine having Cole Komet and Mike Mayer, the other the uh, tight end coming out of Notre Dame in the draft this year? Can you imagine lighting those two big beasts in uh, the Bears' offense and then two wide receivers and then a running back, Khalil Herbert, whoever? Oh, my God, this fucking offense now looks fucking dangerous in a way that a lot of other offenses do not look dangerous and so this is a special tight end and Cole Komet is developing into a special tight end and I like love the fucking chemistry that those two guys would have together two Notre Dame guys you know saying hey we're, we're, we're we really are the number one and number two wide receivers receivers not wide receivers but receivers on this team bring back and hopefully Darnell Mooney comes back and hopefully Clay Clay Chase Claypool then you've got Claypool Mooney those two tight ends and Khalil Herbert with Justin Fields, holy shit, I like that. I fucking like that. So as I've been doing my little bit of research here, it's been a thought that's gone through my mind, and I said, holy shit, man, this could be fucking sweet. So 
there's that. All right. Oh, what else did I want to talk about? Um, Eraflu's Christmas video, my smile talk. Oh, somebody mentioned earlier before we started that the NBA MVP award has been renamed as the Michael Jordan award. Holy fuck, man. This was long overdue. And I wish uh, Dane Aguirre would have been here too, because he, he knows his NBA history from that era. And so that would have been a really good discussion to have with him. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, Dan is not from Chicago, so he doesn't have that same appreciation that a lot of Chicago fans have for, for Jordan. But Jordan is by far, in my mind, the absolute best to have ever played the game. And there's been a lot of great fucking basketball players from Wilt Chamberlain to Abdul Jabbar, on and on and on. There's been a lot of great guys. But if you're going to uh, rename the MVP award, Name it after Michael Jordan. Somebody said calling him uh, the Mike Award, calling it the Mike Award, you know, which sounds pretty cool. That's not an NBA thing. It's it's just a uh, – uh, oh, St. Omni says, love Jordan, but let's stop feeding his ego. Come on. Come on, St. Omni. This is not about feeding his ego. This is about recognizing a the guy who was the fucking greatest player in NBA history. And you can argue that. You can say LeBron is the best. You can say whatever. But naming an award after Michael Jordan, to me, is the most appropriate award because he went to the NBA Finals six times and he won all six in six games or less. That, to me. And he was the guy. He was the fucking guy. I, to me, um, I don't understand uh, any any, you know, yeah. Fucking Jordan was an asshole. He pushed people around. Will Produce bitch slapped and Steve uh, Steve Kerr. He fucking punched and stuff. He was not, and he's always into winning so much where he hurts people's feelings and stuff and card games and stuff. I, I can understand why people would would uh, be upset with Michael Jordan, but it's all about results, right? It's all about results. And once he had learned how to win, I got to give Phil Jackson a lot of credit, you know. Because the other coaches baby fed him. Uh, Collins and Lockery, do whatever you want out there. Do whatever the fuck you want. Shoot as many times. And Phil Jackson harnessed his energy and said, hey, Steve Kerr's wife fucking open. There's three guys guarding you. What the fuck are you doing? And so uh, Jordan, and that's part of why he was he, he became the MVP of MVP, MVPs because he adjusted his play because he realized in order to win a championship, I've got to do more than just score. I got to involve the other players. So, um, anyways, we're we're scratching that. So, the idea of uh, uh, Michael Jordan being named the uh, the trophy being named the MVP trophy being named the Michael Jordan Award is a spectacular idea. Khalil Herbert, we talked about. Um, I want to let you know. Oh, Mister Shorty, with the good one here. His logo should be the NBA's logo. You're right. You know, it's Jerry West right now. There's no doubt about it. It's been explained by the NBA. His figure of dribbling the ball was the uh, figure that they used for the NBA logo. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like the idea of his logo being the NBA logo, but it's never going to happen because it's associated with a corporation, the Nike Corporation. But, hey, um, let's let's give the guy his due in naming him the MVP, naming the MVP trophy after him. 
uh, is spectacular. Retro is still up. I know he's in New Jersey. It's 12, 11 over there. His wife is probably saying, hey, you going to come to bed and uh, take care of me? And Retro is like, hey, I'm watching Aldo, man. <laughs> uh, Aldo, I'm listening to you while I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> I had not read this before, Retro. If I have a sex dream and you're in it, I'm paying you a visit. No, you're not. Because <laughs> you and I are not going down that way. But I would love to meet you, brother. <laughs> I really would. Uh, my man from New Jersey, Retro. Uh, all right. So I want to let you all know that tomorrow, uh, Buffon is back from his two-and-a-half-week vacation. John Buffon, Buffon55, is back, and we've got a very special guest who covers uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And this guy, I discovered him on, on Twitter. This guy is a gambling expert. Uh, and I wish I had his fucking name in front of me. Um, but this guy knows his egos, and this should be a fantastic interview. And so that's going to be in the first segment. The second segment, John will uh, answer five questions about the Chicago Bears. And in the third segment, he, Alyssa Barbieri from uh, BearsWire.com and myself, will join for an open-air discussion, open-table discussion, whatever you want to call it, about the Chicago Bears. So that should be uh, uh, fun. See, Mr. Shorty says his logo should be the NBA's logo. F that way, that old school Jerry West. F that. You know what, though? I got to tell you, Mr. Shorty, that is one of my favorite logos. Um, the NFL logo, the shield is okay. Uh, MLB baseball, I like a lot. It reminds me really of Don Kessinger from the 69 Cubs, uh, but I, I don't think that's who they modeled after. And what other sport? The NHL hockey, their shield is okay. It's kind of plain uh, looking. I got to tell you, the NBA logo might be my favorite of all the logos. I'd have to give that some more thought. But I always do like the idea of changing things up and, uh, you know, uh, remodeling things. I don't – if the NBA say, hey, we're rechanging our logo, uh, we're changing our logo, I, I, I'd be all for that. Uh, Jerry West des deserves what he got. Uh, it doesn't mean that for the the 2020s and beyond that he needs to be the face of the NBA in terms of uh, being the guy on the logo. St. Omni says we need to organize a trip to save Tooch. You know what? I think fucking Tooch is having the time of his life. I really fucking do. I really fucking do. And uh, uh, he will, uh, I, I believe he will be back next week. I know he's back in the United States uh, on Thursday of this week. He and his family has ha have had a whirlwind trip to Thailand, to the Philippines. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing my guy Tooch. Um, all right. And Retro says he's going to be searching for Tooch in the red light district. Believe me, if Tooch was a bachelor, that's where you would find him. <laughs> but he's a family man now. Um, I want to tell you about uh, what happens after Buffon 55, a, uh, a Bear Truth episode. We were supposed to have it last week, but things got out of control with schedules and stuff. So um, Mr. Uh, Danny Shimon and I will be reviewing tape of two players by popular demand. Um, Braxton Jones at left tackle. Danny has selected six or seven plays that we're going to look at and see where he is at with his progression as a left tackle. And Danny is in, totally in favor of giving this guy a shot to be the long-term left tackle. And then the other player is Jack Sanborn. These are two Ryan Poles acquisitions that Danny agrees are building blocks 
for the future. So we're going to cut up some tape. And uh, I've already cut up the tape of uh, Jack Sanborn, some beautiful stuff. This guy, you know, the big complaint on Jackson, uh, Jack Sanborn when he came out of college was that his lack of sideline to sideline coverage, holy fuck, because he didn't have the athletic ability of, say, a Roquan Smith. Holy fuck, this guy is getting there and getting there earlier than anticipated. So that's a nice thing. Now, is his pass coverage good enough? So I'll uh, leave that as an open question that uh, Danny will uh, answer, and I will provide some commentary. So that will be fun doing that tomorrow, Wednesday, here on the Barroom Network live and in color. And then on Thursday, we've got additional. Oh, by the way, earlier in the day, uh, Wednesday at 2 p.m. is the Bar Down Hockey Talk Show. And those guys, I've said it over and over. And I, I don't know if you guys have given these guys an opportunity, but uh, Vinny Parisi does an outstanding job hosting that show. And his man, Frank Mueller, is a very, very knowledgeable guy. And then when they, these guys start talking about pop culture or the Bears or what have you, it's fantastic. By the way, Frank Mueller, if you are a video gamer, Frank Mueller writes for Fansighted in their app's trigger uh, uh, portion of their website, and he writes about video games. So follow Frank, um, and I wish I had his uh, Twitter title, but all you got to do is uh, tune in tomorrow, and you will find uh, uh, Frank Mueller's Twitter handle and follow him for video game news, and they, uh, and they talk about video games from uh, time to time on their show. Uh, Sanborn does have a three-year deal. I'm pretty sure, Renewable, that you're right. I don't think that he's a free agent at the end of this year. It's a three-year contract. Yeah, and Travis's uh, memories is uh, confirming my thoughts there. Um, so uh, that's our uh, lineup for Wednesday. Three great shows. And then on Thursday, we're back with Crosstown Crosstalk. Vinny Parisi will have a special guest. Or if he doesn't, he will be talking about baseball and all of the great rumors that are going around about signings. And there's been a ton of stuff happen that's happened uh, in the last week regarding Major League Baseball. So that will be fun. And then the guys from uh, Science Fiction will be back on Thursday night to talk about um, uh, science fiction movies. And then in between those two shows, it's the Mac and Reed show. Those guys cover all chicago sports but spend a good deal of the time talking about chicago bears uh and end always with a pop culture topic it's a breezy 60 minute show i highly recommend it when you're traveling around in the car turn on your device go to bar uh, barroom network and uh, pick any one of the tremendous shows that we have all right everybody um boy i wish there was something more that i had to say because i don't really want to go to sleep but I do have to take a piss. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it there. Uh, for Dan Aguirre and Johnny Santucci, my name is Aldo Gandia. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomfe. Bear down.